And I'm gonna start the peeling till the peeling's gone I'm gonna take on old Manhattan uptown, down and across I'm gonna chop it up and make me some big apples Oh my God, guys, we're back. No, I mean, like, we're back without taking three months off or taking a month between recording something and actually getting it online. I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited, not just because we're here. Of course, we're here without Nate, just a caveat for everybody listening, because we know Nate has a lot of fans, and we miss him, and we hope he can come back soon, but he's taking a little time off. But, of course, we're here with Dan. But most especially, we are here with a very special guest, and I'm super excited about it because we are going to talk about teen sex comedies made for TV with probably, what do you want to call the king of the teen sex (laughs) comedy uh, genre, and probably the king of the made for TV because his book has actually a lot of made for TV movies in it. We'll get to that. Anyway, so we are here with Mike McBeardo McPadden. Hey, Mike, how's it going? It's wonderful. It's, it's, I feel great having been coronated King McBeardo the 69th. Hey! <laughs> what an apt title for this time and place in our lives. So you wrote a book that's called Teen Movie Hell, A Crucible of Coming-of-Age Comedies from Animal House to Zapped. And you have the little exclamation point there after Zapped like you're supposed to. And right. it's it's got this really evocative artwork that brings back all of those fabulous comedies that I grew up watching on our local channel. Matter of fact, let me just tell a real quick story just to let people know my relationship with teen sex comedies. So, and I may have mentioned this to Mike when I met him a couple weeks ago, but um, I had a local station in Vegas that ended up becoming a music video channel, a local music video channel, and you could call and request and they played music videos for you. It was awesome. But anyway, they were just this channel that was like just some local thing and they played whatever and at nine o'clock at night like two or three nights a week they played teen sex comedies and they played horror movies like the fun house i remember watching that and i would go to bed at nine but i had a little black and white tv in my bedroom and so i would go into my room i lived i was upstairs and my parents were downstairs and i would turn on the tv with the volume really low and i would watch things like my tutor and private lessons and they were edited for TV, but I was just of that age. I didn't really need to see more than I saw. But, like, they had such an influence on me. And it wasn't until later that I really realized how really upsetting Private Lessons is. When you're 11, <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. get that everything yeah. about that movie is wrong. And then it's like a, I, I rented it as, like, a 28-year-old with a boyfriend of mine. And he loved it, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, this is really – I might have to walk out of the room and just pace <laughs> for a couple of minutes. But so tell me – no, I think this book was a long time in the making. Is that right, Mike? Yeah. I mean, more uh, off and on for 25 years, um, <laughs> I hatched this plot with uh, my, my friend Aaron Lee when we were both working at Hustler Magazine in 1994 at the tail of the pup hot dog stand. And, um, yeah, no, I, I started writing it then and it almost got published in 1999 and the division of St. Martin's that was going to put it out got shut down all of a sudden. And then I put it aside for a while and, uh, started it anew, um, about five years ago, um, right after heavy metal movies, my last book came out, uh, because my publisher, uh, Ian Christie at bazillion points is also a, tremendous fan of teen sex comedies well versed you know we thought we could make it work and we did so tell me your relationship with teen sex comedies so like i discovered them on our local channel how did you come to find it well obviously you must have loved them your whole life i'm assuming as a kid oh yeah yeah uh i mean you know porky's came out when i was 13 and it, it comes down to fast times at ridgemont high opened in new york the first friday of my freshman year of high school and ferris bueller 
opened the day after I graduated in 1986, four years later. So these movies, you know, that's the prime time. And that was my prime adolescent time. So they were for me uh, directly, you know, a very uh, pent up Catholic fellow in Brooklyn, New York, (laughs) um, dreaming of, you know, not just the partying and the adolescent lovemaking, but just, you know, the the wide open spaces of uh, California and sunnier climbs than where I was. And, uh, you know, just feeding every fantasy and uh, inflating every uh, delusion of power that I sought and, uh, you know, disappointing me with the reality of life continually clobbering me over the head. So that's my relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I had a little bit of a sad ending there. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, except now it's, you know, I wrote a book about it. So Yeah, it culminated in this really, really wonderful book. And this is a wonderful book. Um, Thank you. I love uh, one of the things you did that I thought was so forward thinking of you was that you had a lot of women contribute essays. Yes, that that was excellent. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and not just, I mean, really amazing women. And I feel really bad and I should have looked at it beforehand, but I don't remember the author's name, but you had somebody actually write about how they related to the abortion storyline in Fast Times. Yeah, that's the great Wendy McClure, the author of The Wilder Life. Um, Her great obsession is Laura Ingalls Wilder, who wrote Little House on the Prairie. And uh, she went and, and, like, retraced the steps of Walnut Grove and wrote a book about it. That's amazing. Oh, well, yeah, she um, she wrote a really poignant essay in yeah. here that really of all the and all the stuff's really great, but it really just stood out to me. And I love that it's in here because, you know, as a woman, I grew up watching these two. And so there's different perspectives. And something that's really interesting about that is and I'm going to ask you about some movies you screened here um, and you have been screening around. But recently um, here in Austin, they did they have this series called Cherry Bomb, which is like, you know, movies that are made for women or uh, made by women. And they recently showed Smooth Talk, which is this Laura Dern thing that sure. came out in the 80s. It's wonderful. And I, I took my husband to see it. And he had never seen it. I thought he might enjoy it. He didn't care for it. But something he said to me that I thought was so interesting was he's like, he's like, coming of age movies for boys are like sex and camping and they're really fun. For women, it's just traumatizing. Yeah. And there is a division between um, women coming of age films and men coming of age films. But so I think that the female perspective into these types of films that are generally made for men are always really fascinating because you're pulling all these things out because we're we're also watching these but we're taking sort of um how, how do i want to word it just a different viewpoint of it so i'm really glad that that's expressed here and um thank you for doing that and well, thanks. you know i mean i have a sister who's three years younger than i am so in putting this book together uh, you know it, it did occur to me like what was her experience of this um, you know, with me being obsessed with this, bringing these movies home, us watching them in, on the v, on the VCR. And I had to wonder, you know, let's say I was 16 and she was 13. You know, what was it like for a 13 year old girl to uh, watch her, you know, her brother and his knucklehead friends <laughs> flying at, you know, fraternity vacation or whatever it is. So yeah, that was that- definitely part of it. That would be interesting to ask her what she remembers about Porky's because it wasn't until I was older that I realized that it's it's a lot of male nudity. <laughs> yes. And it's not bad, and I kind of like it. And by the third one, they're, like, all naked. You know what I mean? Like oh, they're, they're, like, they're, naked, and, like, somehow they've all aged 30 years. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it's just kind of funny, because first it was Pee Wee, and then before you knew it, it was, like, uh, Mark Carrier's character. I can't remember the character's name. And uh, me, like, they're just all naked, and you're like, I can't believe this. But the first one, I remember as an adult thinking, wow, I don't remember that, because everybody remembers the shower scene, right? The right. infamous shower scene. And, and not, like... 
the the uh, hooker scene with Susan Clark, you know, right. which is like this is a lot of naked men. But um, so anyway, you've been screening movies around, and yeah. you came here and you showed Last American Virgin, and I was thinking about that because it left a really big impression on me seeing that in I hadn't seen it in many years, and um, its lack of pretension, which is great because I think TV movies also have a, a very strong lack of pretension, and I can see why I'm so drawn to this film. But I wonder because you're also screening movies like Valley Girl, and I can see Valley Girl sort of playing to modern audiences better than something like last American version what is the yeah. general response to last American version been uh you know it was the it was the same response that uh I think we all had back in 1982 when it came out I uh saw it with a group I was 14 I was hanging out with a bunch of guys uh, we got the oldest guy who was 17 to buy us tickets because it was rated R and we went in and I think we brought in like pizza like we were really hooting and hollering and by the end you know, there is an, it's like an emotional snuff film. At, yeah. the, at the end, we all walked out absolutely stunned and silent. And then finally, the oldest guy broke the silence by saying, I felt bad for that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it plays the audiences. People come out stupefied. And there is a different perspective now because back then it definitely played like this guy has been horribly wronged. Uh, you know, life is, is just terrible for this guy. And now, you know, kind of perceiving the world as it has changed in the past couple of years, we see that he oversteps. We see that he is presumptuous. And also more than that, you know, because I was talking to actually to a woman in Austin about this and she was saying, I was thinking, you know, she doesn't owe him anything. I was like, you're right. And then we both kind of came to the same conclusion. We just said, you know, teenagers are just horrible to each other. <laughs> Yeah. They just brutalize each other because they're teenagers. They haven't been through it yet. They have to go through it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And what I thought was so interesting, too, that I didn't really notice is how much of an object Diane Franklin is, but in purposefully. Like, we know yeah. very little about her, and I think that that's on purpose because he's fallen in love with the image and idea of her, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and not her. And so, um, and there's just a lot about the movie that I didn't realize how amazing it really was. And I listened to the soundtrack like three days straight after you screened it. I, yeah. It was like all I could do. So do you have any more screenings coming up? I'll be in Denver October 4th and 5th showing Last American Version Joysticks. Ooh. Not a film with a deep subtext. Nice. <laughs> Gray, Graydon and, Clark is uh, is unable to do have deep subtext in anything. So, yeah. <laughs> and all the better. I mean, it works yes, that yes. Uh, that's on Friday night and then actually Saturday... Uh, mat afternoon matinee of Little Darlings, finally. <gasps> wow. I'm so excited to show this. Wow. You know, okay, so just a, a random story, but I saw Little Darlings on the big screen with Robert Forrester in the audience. Wow. wow. And, yeah, so I have a friend in L.A., and I won't say much because he ended up not working with Robert Forster, but he was kind of courting him for a movie he was going to make. And so he invited him to the screening that he had for his birthday and um, that he rented out a theater and he chose Little Darlings to show. And I'd seen it. Um, Robert Forster had never seen it. And um, so when the movie was over, I actually walked up to him. I've met him twice now, but I walked up to him and. He's like my ultimate, you know, I was dying. Yeah. And he was with this woman that he ended up marrying a few years later. She's really nice. And um, and I was like, I love you. Do you like little darlings? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, um, I'm not sure what I just saw. I mean, it was devastating because it's so real. Yeah. You yeah. know, speaking of female coming of age movies, I mean, I think that movie really captures 
a lot of that, what women go through. And, um, and he was really blown away by it. And, you know, I think he only has daughters and Oh, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that as like, a, I guess he would have been like in his early sixties, maybe mid sixties yeah. when he saw it having four or five daughters. I think he has something like that, that he must be thinking, Oh, I don't even want to know that this stuff happens. You know? right. <laughs> but it was amazing. And it looks so good on the big screen. It's such a great film. And I wish that it could get a legit release, but I, I, I feel like it's music rights is what people were saying is what's yeah. keeping it from skate town USA just came out on Blu-ray yes. and that's something I thought would never uh, see a, a light of day because all the music in that. So maybe, Someone's got to step up to the plate. I think it is now available on Amazon. Uh, you oh. can you can get it digitally for six ninety nine. Oh, Little okay. Dog. I'm so glad you so said perhaps that. So the step has been taken. Hmm. And and I'm really glad that Dan mentioned Skate Town USA because I didn't mention the films we're going to be talking about. So and he obviously I think of Skate Town USA and I see Scott Bayo in my head. And so <laughs> as you do, I see Scott Bayo in my head a lot. I try not to, but he just Joni loves Chachi. It haunts me. Yes. I love him. Okay. No, I don't love him. It's a very weird relationship we have. But anyway, um, so tonight we are talking about two I guess coming of age. Um, I'm not really sure what to call senior trip yet, but basically two coming of age sort of teen films um the first one is called cotton candy from 1978 it was directed by ron howard it was the second film and something called senior trip which was directed by the guy who like created bionic woman right so and was a quinn martin production and um (laughs) oh my god and so the thrill of saying those words never (laughs) dissipates (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so glad that you curated these because I, I remember watching Senior Trip when it aired, but I have not seen it since I was like 10 years old. And I had never seen Cotton Candy, even though it's in my book. And I have to be honest, I didn't actually know of Cotton Candy until it was in my book. So um, I hadn't had a chance to experience it till this last week. And uh, I was I was really impressed by it. So anyway, so we're going to just do these sequentially. We're going to uh, do a different kind of breakdown. So we're just going to read the reviews from each other's books. So uh, Dan's going to read the review of Cotton Candy, which was written by a really wonderful Australian writer named John Harrison. And I really thank him for submitting this because he really just turned me on to something. And everybody who looks at the book, I have a feeling this movie is kind of unfamiliar to a lot of people. Uh, Cotton Candy, director Ron Howard, starring Charles Martin Smith, Clint Howard, Leslie King, Kevin Lee Miller, aired October 26, 1978 on NBC. You know what I ought to do? I ought to get my own band together. Really? Yeah, I ought to start my own band and give that turkey a little competition. Are you serious? Yeah, there are musicians around. I mean, there are guys I could get to do it. Yeah, I mean, sure. Good guys. Yeah. Hey, and you know that battle of the bands that he's supposed to be so hot on? Oh, yeah. I could get a band together, and I'll enter that thing, and I'll blow his doors off. Ooh! Yes! So the little tagline for what the movie's about, unpopular high school students, George and Corky, form a rock group and must face <laughs> off against arch-rivals in a Battle of the Bands contest. The sophomore directorial effort from then-popular TV star Ron Howard, Grand Theft Auto, was his debut the previous year. Cotton Candy is a groovy piece of 70s nostalgia that pays tribute to that great institution of the high school rock band, a rite of passage for many teenagers, regardless of how much talent they possess or how far they get with it. In the years before instant, usually fleeting superstardom, via the likes of American Idol, getting to play in a Battle of the Bands contest at the local mall was often the highlight of school life and beyond, and was usually the one surefire way for even the geekiest of kids to land a hot date for the prom. Filmed in Dallas, Texas, at the Lake Highlands High School in Town East Mall, 
Cotton candy wallows in a sense of innocence and apple pie Americana that could so easily be off-putting and overbearing, but is endearing, thanks to primarily thanks primarily to fine performances from Charles Martin Smith, Toad in American Graffiti, as George Smalley, Leslie King as the female drummer George falls for, and Ron Howard's remarkably oddball younger brother Clint as Corky McPherson, <laughs> George's best buddy and the perfect person to manage the fledgling supergroup this bunch put together in their garage. Mark Wheeler is also great to watch as Torben Biquette, is it Biquette? I've forgotten the, the pronunciation. Biquette, uh, the cocksure leader of Cotton Candy's rival band, Rapid Fire. A clear, <laughs> clearly Kiss-inspired outfit with a lot of flash but little substance and an audience of screaming girls at their feet. Wheeler would go on to work with Ron Howard in several of the director's big projects, including playing Neil Armstrong in Apollo 13. <laughs> I can't believe I just read that sentence. But it's definitely Clint Howard who owns the film, giving not only a great performance, but also a, a, getting a co-screenwriter credit with his brother. Howard gives himself some great lines of dialogue, and he clearly uses his character here as a template uh, for his more m- well-known role in the following year's Rock and Roll High School. Mark Ridlin, who played one of the members of Rapid Fire, recalled in an online interview a few years back, before it aired on October 26, 1978, all the parents of Rapid Fire personally purchase VCRs to record it. Home video recordings was then a new and wondrous thing. And there is a footnote. Uh, Ridlin, now a DJ, screened one of these recordings, replete with the original commercials aired during its first broadcast at the Tradewind Social Club in Dallas in 2010. Clint Eastwood... Uh, Clint Eastwood... Clint Howard, sorry. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Clint Howard also attended a screening of the... How come those two never made a film together? Uh, Clint Eastwood also attended a screening of the film... Oh, at the Silent Movie Theater in Los Angeles in 2011. Initially conceived as a pilot for an unrealized series, Cotton Candy has unfortunately never appeared legitimately on video or disc. Disney apparently owned the rights and have locked it away. Uh, though some public domain sellers had offered up over the years, usually dubbed from TV transmissions of varying quality. Despite, or perhaps because of its rarity, Cotton Candy has developed a cult following and has even inspired a few indie bands, such as the Sweet Sixteen, who recorded a song titled Hot Rash named after one of the potential band names, uh, which features snippets of dialogue from the film. An illustrated paperback tie-in authored by the Howard Brothers was published by Signet in 1979. Thank you, John. Oh, my God. I need that novelization so bad. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I need I need that. If anybody out there has it, I'd love to see a photo of the cover. Obviously, Mike, you've seen this before, so just give us some thoughts about what you, what you like about Cotton Candy. I saw it when it, was, it first aired, and I believe wow. it may have been the same weekend as Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. It was, yes, you're right. Oh so that was, my yeah, god! This was this was and both on NBC. So this was like nonstop. Um, we were, uh, you know, I was ten, and I was with my cousins and my brother and sister, and we loved it. We thought Clint Eastwood was Eddie Monster, Clint so we Eastwood? kept getting very excited. I mean, Clint, I said Clint Eastwood also. <laughs> this is going to be a thing tonight. I oh yeah. boy! <laughs> it's thanks. You got to start it, Dan. Uh, <laughs> we thought Clint Howard was Eddie Monster, so we were we were ecstatic. We were cheering for Eddie Monster to save the day over and over again. And of course, you know, Clint Howard is is equally cool. And and I'm old enough to remember Gentle Ben, and also him drinking Tranya on Star Trek, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I loved it. Uh, revisiting it now, it was more fun than than I could have hoped. It holds up so nicely. Interesting. You know, I, I don't remember there being any kind of drama in it, but there. And I was thinking, like, the real tension only occurs during the strip poker scene. Yeah. I got an idea. 
You guys ready for a few more poker lessons? I need some spending money. Oh, no. What? You're just lucky. <laughs> no such thing as luck. Unreal, you lady. You just draw the cards. Ah, you gotta know how to play them. Poker's all skill. It's luck. <laughs> the way I beat you guys, it's gotta be skill. Hey, well, if you're so skillful, have a little game of uh, strip poker. All right. I can relate to that. Oh, man, we don't have time for strip poker. Man, it's a gnarly storm. The whole block's out, totally. Hey, uh, Corky, how about a little game of poker? Yeah. Yeah, I'll play. All right. Ah, <laughs> uh, Corky, they want to play strip poker. Strip poker? Shoot, yeah. Ah, Corky, oh, yeah. my man! Nah, it's practically pitch dark in here. I can see plenty good enough. Forget it. Our card shark's not going to want to play. I never said I wasn't going to play. Get the cards, Corky. Whoa! Which is which is interesting. I was thinking, like, did they have? Did they? Why did they throw that in there? I was like, well, it was peak jiggle TV, and uh, maybe they had to, you know, as I wrote about on Facebook recently, being eight years old and frantically staring at the Love Boat TV movie, hoping that this is the one time there was going to be nudity on television. <laughs> so maybe they wanted to tease that out yes, too. But yes. um, you know, it was great. You know, Rapid Fire is hilarious. I really liked Cotton Candy's songs, too, and I liked how they came together. The whole thing was very satisfying up until, uh, you know, the, the very last moments. And I liked, uh, I almost called him Eagle Bauer. Eddie Munster, Eagle Bauer, <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Eastwood. Um, <laughs> you so can imagine amazing. he became Eagle Bauer, like he transferred schools the next year and was full yes. of this. I really liked his final insult to the uh, Rapid Fire lead singer where he was like, yeah, at least I don't have to pull down my pants to talk. <laughs> that, that's right <laughs> and my wife looked at me like what is he saying i was like you know like talk out of his ass <laughs> and, uh, i feel like that was a howard family one yeah maybe, that, yeah. It, yeah what a great point yeah <laughs> yeah i just loved it and i loved i loved uh clint howard crying a little bit too at the end he was so moved yeah. but in watching these movies when did the phenomenon of the live band at the high school dance playing original songs stop because by the 80s, we would have rioted if a band played an original song at a dance. Yeah. Well, I didn't even have a band. Like, all the dances I went to in Vegas were DJed. Yeah. And so when I would see them in movies, it seemed so like a romanticized version of what high school was like. Right. And, you know, and it's interesting because do you, this is a really strange reference, but when you talk about that, it makes me think of Saved by the Bell. Do you remember Zach? Was it Zach and the Heart Attack? He had a band. Right. And... They played at one of the dances. I think it's a dance where Kelly and him actually ended up breaking up. And so I guess all the other cast members had to play the music while they broke up outside. That's my memory of it. And I remember, like, thinking about their original songs. Too. I was like, wow, that's crazy. They're playing, like, songs I don't know. I wouldn't want that. You know what I mean? I, I want like I want like Rod Stewart, you know, and whatever. And so but our schools just had DJs. So I, I don't remember ever seeing a live band ever the entire time I went to school in Vegas. I would say it was in my case it was like ninety percent DJs, but then if there was a band you know, they just played like like Brian Adams and you know Pat mm. Benatar, whatever the hits of the day were. Did, did they play "I Shot the Sheriff" like seventy eight times? Oh, you know, I wasn't that lucky. The the sludge version of "I Shot the Sheriff" <laughs> or whatever the hell it is. Well, to do it I have to say, I have to say, that's my favorite um, sort of long running joke in it. I'm not sure if there's other long running jokes, but I have to say, the Mark Wheeler, the character he plays, Torben, has a really great sense of showmanship. Yeah. Oh, so like like the songs. Definitely. 
it's kind of annoying, but they had like those little pyrotechnics, which were like these little smoke bombs that would go off. Like it was really good for high school, you know, and his his top hats and his look. And it kind of made me think of a movie that I'd like to do at some point is sooner or later with Rex Smith and Rex Smith. Yeah. That's a lot of showmanship. That's real showmanship. I mean, Mark Wheeler sort of playing it up as a caricature, but they, I could kind of see how they could win the battle of the bands. Like they like, you couldn't beat them. No, he, they had little no. bombs. You know, it was good. They're like the River Bottom Nightmare Band from Emmett Otter. They, you can't top that. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, this is your first time singing it. Am I right? Yes, yes. I'd only encountered it in your book. Yeah. yeah so, give me a few thoughts about what you thought about it and why you thought that thing about it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well done. Well done. I've got it. Um, <laughs> you, you know what? I thought it was going to be like Beardo. You mentioned the drama. I was yeah. surprised by how much drama was in it. Um, uh, I thought it was going to culminate in the Battle of the Bands yeah. and be a huge sort of thing. But it's kind of the Battle of the Bands is done about two thirds of the way in, and the last third is kind of a mix of slightly depressing and some moments of triumph. And I don't mean like triumph, like you know, tears in the rain, or you know, you know, triumph. <laughs> but but it's 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 it, it was weird because. I liked it more the second time I watched it when I knew where it was going. The first time I watched it, all the drama and it's like that strip poker scene. All I could think of, because I saw like a month or so ago, I saw Friday the 13th on the big screen. So mm. I thought, why can't we all just have fun playing a strip something or other game? <laughs> but then in, in Friday the 13th, it is two gals and a guy. So I guess the sort of it, it's different than like five guys sitting there leering at you. Yeah. Um, Ron Howard directs it really nice because I was uncomfortable throughout yeah. that scene. It, it's 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 funny. I I liked it quite a bit, but I thought I was really gonna love it, and I didn't. I'm not 100% sure why. I think I find some some of the dramatics kind of a little lacking here and there. I don't know if it's like I, I want the when I got to the end the first time I said to myself, well, that's why Ron Howard doesn't write his own scripts for his movies. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh, um, uh, j- just because sometimes the drama feels off. Like there's this there's a scene where um, uh, you know the the drummer gal his girlfriend is going to MIT and he's working at a burger joint playing some guitar in this band that kind of isn't really going anywhere. And he's like, wait a minute, you're still going to go away to MIT? Are you ready to go? What's with you tonight? Let's go. You're cranky. Cranky? Yeah, and if you keep it up, the guys are going to get mad. What's the matter? Think they're going to quit? They might. Let them. Why are you being so negative? Oh, what's so positive? Think the band's gonna keep going when you run off to MIT? I swear, is that your problem? Look, don't try and make me feel guilty because I've got a scholarship. When you joined up, did you know you're gonna be leaving? Well, yes. Oh, well, let's work on the harmony. Oh, well, what's wrong with that? You sure strung me along for somebody who's skipping out. I don't have to take this. I'm not skipping out on anybody. I had my scholarship way before I got mixed up with you. You made such a big deal about the band. I love the band. I don't want to leave the band, but do you really expect me to blow this chance? Look, just forget it, okay? What's more important, a scholarship or a band? What's more important, a scholarship or us? With your attitude, I don't know. Oh, well, great, if you don't know. What am I supposed to tell my father? Tell him you love me. But it won't do any good. Look, Brenda, 
I'm sick and tired of beating my head against the wall. So thanks a hell of a lot for your lousy two months. So you're going to go away to college? What are you talking about? You know, and it's like, what? And it's, it was such a weird moment, I thought. Um, but the thing is, everyone's so good in it. That mm. band, Rapid Fire, isn't a good band. I, their version of I Shot the Sheriff is a garbage party. Like, it's like a dumpster fire that you just sit there looking at it going, oh my goodness. And the, when they do You Are So Beautiful... Oh, that's right. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. So good. I can play some keyboard, I can do some drums, but I don't know much about sort of the science of music. And the whole time hearing him sing that, I thought, is he off key or what is what is he doing? Cause <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, but he looks so good, you I know mean, what that's, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know you guys are right. Like, there was no way that Cotton Candy was going to win that Battle of the Bands. Um, you know, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, it's sort of like Kiss. You know, you watch Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. It's so much fun. Every time they break into a song, you have to, if you want to, a good song, you have to imagine another band playing. I don't know. Pick a, pick another band from that. You know what? Angel. We're going to disagree on this one, says the man <laughs> with Kiss Pitbull tattoo. I know, uh, I know. I've s- tattooed on his legs. I'm sorry, McBeard. I was going to say, have you ever heard the band Angel? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. From- oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, the first two Angel albums, I think, are better than pretty much everything Kiss did. But I'll well, stop the right there. They're the anti-Kiss. Yeah, yes, the exactly. They're the flip side. Yes. Uh, they were so- the Beatles to Kiss's Stones. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll go. I'll go with that. Yeah. Um. So. So I think. I think the movie is. It definitely. You got to watch it. It's. Um. It's. It's a lot of fun to watch. The. the I think. The. The other. The movie I thought of when I was watching it, which. Um. Was another movie. This one's about younger kids sort of having adventures. It's. Uh. Kenny and Company. The Don Coscarelli film. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is a film I adore, and that film uh, was specifically like it was Don Coscarelli and, and I think it was a Paul Pepperman, the producer. They wrote it, and when they wrote it, they they say on the commentary on the DVD, "Where's my Blu-ray?" They uh, on the DVD they say like everything, almost everything in it was a story from our childhood. And if they couldn't think of something, they would go to people on the crew and say, hey, do you have any stories you can tell us? So to me, Kenny and Company, as disjointed as it is, well, it's really like three days leading up to Halloween. Um, it's, 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 it's more or less like a lot of like true little vignettes of kids growing up. 
Whereas this, there, yeah. there are point there there are points in this where I thought some of it felt real and some of it felt contrived. Not that that's bad. I like everyone in it so much, and I think it's so much fun that I I wish I loved it. I don't love it, but I really quite like it. Okay, you, you know, yeah. this was my first viewing as well, and it's interesting that we all are going to bring up the strip poker scene because that really does stand out as like the most interesting scene. Now, I love the movie. I'm just going to say it. It is so sweet and it's like a little ball of nothing in a way. It's just watching these people. And it's interesting because you call them misfits, but I didn't really see them as they're only misfits because Charles Martin Smith's character waited so long to figure out what he wanted to do in high school to kind of leave his imprint. But like, they were all just a bunch of people that got together and they didn't seem like they were necessarily geeks or outcasts. They were just like, people at school that kind of hit it off and started a pretty good band and then we're just sort of watching their lives like the last year of high school and it just kind of goes along and it's sweet it's got an impact on it but I think it's it's like a film that's almost like about nothing in a way it's just watching people kind of live their lives in a really great way it's very engaging that way I don't want to make it sound like it's boring but it's almost like there's not really a narrative to it to me but there are so many scenes that stand out as like really interesting scenes in the poker scene. I really liked, and it's obvious that it's there because she needs to see the girl in the band, the drummer, Charles Martin Smith as like, he's a, he's like the real man in the group. You know what I mean? He's not going to like make her take off more than she right. needs to in front of all these guys. Yeah. And then she, yeah. that's what develops the relationship, but it is a very uncomfortable scene and it's difficult and it's suspenseful in its own way. And, and when I was watching it, I was like, cause the way they look at her, when yes. she's getting to the end there, it's kind of harrowing. And it's like, oh, my God, don't make her do it. Don't make her do it. You're her friend. You have to. And he actually, Charles Martin Smith actually says, you know, we all have to, like, be in a band together, you know. And yeah. so we're stopping here. And um, but it was like the scene that really stood out to me. And a lot of the other stuff was really just sort of Torben. I really, really was. So Mark <laughs> Wheeler, we may remember, was in Zuma Beach as well. And um, he oh, was yes. great in that, yeah. playing a very yeah. nice guy, right, who's kind of mm-hmm. caught between what to do with his life when high school ends. And here he's just a jerk. He's like the biggest jerk that ever walked uh, whatever the name of that high school is Lakeland or whatever but he's also like really incredibly charismatic and engaging and I couldn't take my eyes off him every time he came on screen he was like a mini rock star and so I didn't have if we had bands in my school I didn't know much about them now I was a misfit and an outcast I had like no friends and so like if things were happening at school with parties and bands and stuff I had no information about it so when I was watching this movie it captures high school enough for me that when I saw Torben, I was imagining what my 17-year-old self would have, how I would have responded. And I responded oh with a lot of hearts and, oh, my God, he's heavenly. You know, the perfect feathered hair and, like, the build and the style. He just, he had it. And so the actor was perfectly cast. But I just like that it's just people kind of doing these things and going through their life and being teenagers. It's very much like real in that way like that they're just kids and and they have responses to kids and and i think you're right talking about the mit thing like as adults we're like well oh my god she's gonna go to mit which by the way she rejects at the end which is its own thing and then and then he doesn't understand it but if i was 16 and in love i wouldn't have understood it either so 
um, it sort of made sense to me. But I, I was just really taken with the charm of it, the film as a whole. And like Dan said, the cast is uniformly great. Um, yeah, it was so well cast. And it's a real love affair. Like, I guess we're kind of, John Harrison already went through a lot of the trivia that I have. But like also, you know, Rance Howard co-produced it, right? Ron Howard and Clint yes, Howard's yes. father. And he's in it. He's a teacher. His mom plays a teacher in it. I, maybe he's the principal. I can't remember. And um, his wife, Ron Howard's real life wife, is Clint Howard's prom date. Oh. Yeah. So this was a family coming together to make a movie that, and Ron Howard had said, we're just going right into my background, but Ron Howard had said he really had no desire to direct big films at that point. He knew he wanted to be a director, but he wanted to start small. So I think his first film, was it called Eat My Dust? The Corman movie. And then he did this. This was his second film. And he purposely wanted little films to kind of learn his craft. And um, he he did such a fine job here. And you can kind of see, in a way, it feels a lot like a TV movie. And in a way, it feels a little bit more cinematic. And um, you could kind of see that he's certainly not a young Spielberg yet, but you could see like the glimmer of him trying to reach out and do something a little different, which I appreciated um, a lot. And um, it's just a sweet little film. It's just kind of, I don't know how else to say it. It just sort of takes you by surprise with its sweetness and its charm. And, and I love that it's happy. And I love that the worst problem in the world is, is not winning the battle of the band and like your girlfriend going off to become a, a mini, amazing scientist. Yeah. Amanda, may, may I ask just so so I'm imagining like whenever um Rapid Fire is playing you're right up there screaming along. And <laughs> but what do you think of the and and I don't know that this matters, but what do you think of the music that they're playing? Cuz it's not good, but it's but it's great at the same time because it's okay. Kind of a, okay. <laughs> because it's big. It's they're big, like for a little high school, they and for a, a little mall, which was great to see the mall as well. Um, that's yeah. something that really stuck out to me as well. I love looking at interiors when they really shoot inside malls and stuff. But like for for such a little place, they made such a big sound, and I think that's why everybody was so taken with them because they were like rock stars. Like, so what's interesting is that when we see him come into the mall to do the battle of the bands, and I agree with you, Dan, I thought the battle of the bands was going to be the climax. And I was surprised that it happened so soon in the film, but like when he, he rolls in, right. And he's got his top hat and his, his outfit is very like cool. And he's got all these girls with him. And then cotton candy comes out and they're just in the clothes they wear to school that day. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like, and there's and you can see that they don't have a chance because they might be more um, adept at the music, but they don't understand the performance. I had that thought while they were yeah. while looking at their clothes. I said, guys, you gotta put on stage clothes. Yes, you can't just wear yes. this lame yes. stuff from Kmart or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> the blue yeah. lights. Later, well, it is like, the mall. Yeah, I was yeah. offering them advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe later when like Pearl Jam became big and it was it was cooler to have your flannels and stuff. I always think of that movie, Just One of the Guys, which is one of my all oh, yeah. favorite sure. movies. Sure. And you know what's so funny is Clayton Roner's character, who's the love interest of the girl who dresses like the boy, is that he starts off in like his secondhand clothes and he kind of has a Kurt Cobain vibe going and. Mm-hmm. That was so not sexy in 1985. And then they, <laughs> yeah. and then they redo him and he looks like he walked off the set of Zapped or something, right? And yeah. and you're like, but he was sexier, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, what I what I always, when, when I think Battle of the Bands, my mind immediately goes to uh, Neon Maniacs. 
yeah. Uh, when when you get that like the the cool sort of I don't know if they're soft rocky Rick Springfield type band going against the like Crocus esque band that that are playing the songs and you you always whenever I watch that sequence I think who's gonna win but then of course the the maniacs from under the Golden Gate Bridge attack <laughs> everyone and you never learn but but that that was like to me that's the ultimate battle of the bands because it's two fun bands song 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 attack squirt guns and it's over. Yeah. You know, I always think of the movie Rich Girl with Jill Sholin. Oh, um, sure, yeah. I'm a yeah. huge fan of that movie. And, you know, that movie's all about building up to the Battle of the Bands and teaching Jill Sholin how to yes. sing, which is ridiculous because she's a great singer. And I don't think Don Michael Paul actually did his own vocals, which is the irony of that. But, um, <laughs> but like, they have this really great song that I kind of want to sing, but I'm not going to humiliate myself. And um, you know what? <laughs> we can leave the room for a minute if you no, want No, no. I mean, we'll put the sound clip of the song on here because I actually have the song of uh, the soundtrack. They've never released a soundtrack, but somebody lifted it off the VHS oh, sure. release. Mm-hmm. And so it has the dialogue, and I have it, like, on my iPod. Break this house! Tear it down! But anyway, so like, yeah, it was interesting that they didn't end there. And that was surprising, too, that they had that it went on to the prom and um, and then Torben got what he wanted. But then there's like this. So, you know, remember when Zuma Beach ends? It's like even the bad guys kind of brought in to yeah. the group at the end. And it's really sweet. And I kind of feel that even though I think nobody really wants to hang out with Torben, you know, when his parents are watching him graduate, and he's got the two black eyes and they're so proud of him. It's like kind of sweet. You like actually start to see him as like this just 17 year old kid, you know, trying to make Mm. it at a school. And it's kind of this really sweet touch at the end of the film. So, yeah, it's got a lot of poignancy to it in a really interesting way. I I think with any time there's a prom scene, I always think, you know, all of this is going to be erased in two months. It's like all the stuff with Torbert, it's going to be forgotten. You're going to be in college in September. But it seems so big, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, completely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've only been able to have that perception, you know, as an adult, certainly at the time I didn't. Yeah, I mean, so Dan was talking about um, the music. So we all like Cotton Candy, right? Yeah, I think they've got a, they've got a nice sort of um, I feel like I've heard, you know, who am I thinking of? Uh, it's not I always say Andy Williams. It's Paul Williams. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, sure. It sort of has. I don't know why I always say Andy Williams. Uh, it has uh, it, the, the songs sort of have that. Because around this time, Paul Williams was writing a lot. Of, well, apart from Phantom of the Paradise, obviously, but um, he he was appearing on a lot of shows and things like Hardy Boys and Nancy That's Drew right. and BJ and the Bear, time. and he was doing like these songs that were um sort they're just sort of his sort of song. Oh, oh Bugsy Malone was Scott okay. Bale, um, uh, who will right. be coming yep. up shortly. Uh, you know, um, he, he does these sort of songs that are kind of catchy and kind of you feel like you've heard them before but you can't quite place yeah. it and and it's sunny but, yes exactly and they're kind of um apart from maybe rainbow connection which is kind of one that always stands out to me the, they, they all kind of have a feeling of 
um, there it's a sort of generic about the human spirit kind of thing. Not in a bad way. Not, not, not don't say that in a bad way. But that's kind of the way the cotton candies feel to me, except more, um, more not the Eagles. I don't really know my soft rock from that time. Um, sort of a more soft rocky feel. Yeah, yeah. it definitely it definitely has that uh, Southern California soft rock. Yes, we you know with the you know kind of rock and guitar solos and and upbeat, mm-hmm. but definitely it's it's sunny and it it's soft like cotton candy. That's yes. right. That's right. It Are was you, a good name for the band, actually. Yeah. You, you you bring in the electric piano. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I also really liked that it had a really diversified band. So it had like a Hispanic and a woman. Like oh, it yeah, was cool too. And just yeah. like that is very realistic because when you're in a band, like you know, that's gonna bring you together. Much like a sports team, like those divisions fall away. Yeah, that's interesting that he tried out for sports first. You know. Yeah. And um. It was it was an interesting start to the film because it kind of starts a little bit funnier than I think the film is in general. Like when he, his dad's yes. like, these cleats are really expensive, you know, and, and then right. it's kind of like the joke, right? Because he, he, he's like, he's waited till his senior year to get the varsity jacket. What do you say? It's going to be a what's the slang? I don't know my 70s slang as well as I should. It's going to be a gas or whatever when I have the letterman <laughs> I think jacket. That's, you know? Is that that's isn't that like beatnik slang or are you or, or was that or is yeah, that 70s slang? I don't know. That's probably beatnik slang. I, I don't have great. Great seventies thing. I will say one, one one problem I did have with the movie is that throughout my life, I have adored watching Elvie Moore and stuff. This is the one yeah. time where I watched Elvie Moore and I thought, "Ooh, Elvie!" I don't know if it's the wife beater. I don't know if it's the mustache, <laughs> but you're getting on my nerves. I mean, I love. I mean, Elvie Moore was the star of The Witchmaker. You know, he produced Boy and His yeah, Dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was obviously Hank Kimball, and he was in Byron Quisenberry's Scream, and he saw. But in this one, he just kind of he he's that dad. Well, he's also in Mortuary. Oh yes, that's right. Oh, he he's, kind of is like that a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mortuary, yeah. I have Alvy Moore in my background because I'm I'm a huge Alvy Moore fan. And mm-hmm. since you brought him up, just let me briefly, I just wrote, I mean, you kind of went over why Alvy Moore is so amazing. But, you know, he was a Marine who fought in World War II. And, of course, he did a lot of television, you know, episodic television. But it was that he produced, right? Or wrote, I'm yes. sorry, I would say produced, but he wrote... He wrote Brotherhood of Satan, I think, with L.Q. Jones and A Boy and His Dog. And I can't remember. Yeah. The, the Witch Maker. I'm sorry. He produced them, and I think L.Q. Jones wrote them. I might be getting my credits mixed up. But anyway, he was behind the scenes of, like, some really interesting dark films. Yes. But he was also Hank Kimball. And right. I, I was so impressed with him as a person. Well, just this one quick piece of TV movie trivia before we go on about it anymore. But he <laughs> also, with L.Q. Jones, appeared in the 1974 TV movie Mrs. Sundance. Which started Elizabeth Montgomery. So, oh wow, just so you know. Yeah, he he did he did most of those movies in between seasons on Green Acres, like as he was doing Green Acres in the late sixties. Or so he would dress up as Mr. Kimball and not remember a damn thing that was going on, <laughs> and then he'd be this professor in the Bayou hunting witches in The Witchmaker. Right. Yeah, it was. It what was a Renaissance freak. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of nutty when you when you think about it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I also I want to chime in and defend uh, Rapid Fire's music. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I my 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 like three favorite bands in the world are the Butthole Surfers, Pussy Galore, and the Melvins, and I feel like they're very much of that school, that art brute, particularly doing like a sacrilegious cover of something that was okay, popular. Okay. Yeah. Now I don't imagine yeah. they were like aware of this the way those bands are, but. Uh, even better, because it, it's pure, <laughs> unpretentious. Yeah. I, I think McBeardo, when I heard them playing, 
I shot the sheriff for the second or third time. I was listening to it, <laughs> yeah. and I, I was thinking, I was thinking, it's like, um, oh gosh, what is the, oh crap, um, okay, I've completed. For, no, is it typo negative? I forget. It's a, there's a, there's a band that there's a uh, uh, oh, uh, summer horror. breeze. Yeah, is is it, there? There's a horror rock song called Frankenstein Stomp from the late fifties, early sixties, which is a very silly song. Oh, yeah. And there's a band. Sure. I forget which band it is. Oh, I'm blanking on it right now. But they're from the last 10, 15 years, and they did a cover of it. That's just like this, and they're talking the Frankenstein stop. Right. And it's so cool. And that's, to me, that's <laughs> the, 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 the thing with Rapid Fire is there. I shot the sheriff is, it's almost like I, I, all I thought of when I heard it was um, when I went to college, I put on a Yes live album because I do some prog rock uh, listening here and there. And my roommate was hearing the Yes play the uh, uh, song Close to the Edge. And at the beginning of Close to the Edge, they're all over the place. And, it do- and, and my roommate looked at me and said, are they all playing the same song? And the thing with I Shot the Sheriff, <laughs> when Rapid Fire is playing it, there's a moment in there where it's like, I shot the... And it's just like crazy. Yeah. And I was like, this is actually really a fun, fun cover of this song, which is kind of played out after the all the other versions, the Eric Clapton version and stuff. But what a... What yeah. a all the gals have gone crazy for this in 78, I guess is my one worry. You know, like to, to quote the David Lee Roth, uh, or to paraphrase the just the Gigolo video, Torben had charisma. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You sir got well, charisma, I mean, yes. He, I mean, I'm just going to take it down to his very basic level. Mark Wheeler's gorgeous. Sure. And, I, I, you know, he's just, he's got no that argument. look. He's, he's And he was the hottest guy in that high school. And there's just no way that, like, he wasn't going to get up on stage and have that charisma, or how you say it, and yes. not just every person just be wooing. And, for, and he has, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep saying it, they had smoke bombs. They had these little smoke things that went off, and it was adorable, because they were just little pyrotechnics, right? And, like, that you just buy, like, on the 4th of July and hope for yes. the best. And it was like, and I love that they tried so hard to be rock stars, yes. you know? And, and the, that made them charming to me. Now, had I been going to that high school, of course, I would have been in love with them. I'm not going to lie. I would have been one of those girls. But, I mean, like, you, from the outside, you can see that it's like, oh, my God, Torben, stop. But, like, <laughs> when you're in the mix there at your little high school and this kid's walking yes. through the halls, forget it. Forget it. He's everything. His That Torben was written on so many folder, peachy folders <laughs> <laughs> at that school that it's not even funny. It's not even funny. I'm not see. I'm not laughing. So I think, but the but the run on gag of them only knowing that one song except for "You Are So Beautiful," which was hilarious because he almost looks dispossessed. Like he's just like whatever, just get through the yes. song. Like, and but his jaw is moving in this weird way, but his eyes are blank. And like you know, he's like he's like, when I get out of here, I'm gonna be a rock star. But for now, I gotta appease the masses of my school. You know, you can kind of see that thing happening in him. And it's kind of funny that that we have these this really great little band that are really likable, and here we are just talking about how amazing Torben is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, the way of the um, world, isn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I let myself down a little bit with that. Um, I, I will say, the um, I like the fact that you, you mentioned the pyro, pyrotechnics that they have there, and this week, uh, that same weekend or around the same time, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park would have had Kiss at Magic Mountain blowing up everything. 
So you yeah. would have actually you would have actually seen like the high school version and then the grown up version. So I wonder if did yeah. did this air before that one? Because I'd love that if you see this and one. This was on Saturday night. Kiss was on Sunday. Yeah, they, oh, okay. they, they aired before because I think Kiss was a little closer to Halloween yes. than uh, Cotton Candy yeah. was. I love the thought that uh, you would have watched Rapid Fire and then the next day seen Kiss and gone, he's going to be there in a couple of years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Torben was thinking and he's just sitting back in his chair. That's going to be yeah. me, man. And like, <laughs> it was unfortunate. <laughs> it didn't work out for him. So he, he must be an okay guy if he's hanging out with Ron Howard, because I can't imagine Ron Howard hangs out with jerks. But he and he was great in Zuma Beach as a nice guy. But he was so good at Torben that now I have it in my head that Mark Wheeler's got a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> You must. Um, but so let's uh, let's just do a little background on this one. So we all liked it. Some of us loved it. That's my understanding. So I I'm did, really yes. yeah. yeah, I did too. And I I'm really happy we it. got. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I'm really happy that we got to watch it because when so I came into the book, you know, after submissions already started coming in. This was one I was like cotton candy, huh? And I was reading about it, and I was blown away by the fact that one I hadn't heard of it, and I know that kind of lowers my street cred in the TV movie world, but um, but I hadn't, and I was really intrigued by it, especially because they shot it in Dallas and they used a lot of mall. Like John Harrison's review clearly states, you know, that he uses a lot of organic settings, and it just sounded really fascinating. And then I found an image, um, a promotional image for the book, and it made me just want to watch it more. I thought, God, this looks so good, and I love Charles Martin Smith. That's uh, He's like somebody I haven't seen in a ton of stuff, but I just think he's got a really likable persona. But anyway, so this aired on October 26, 1978, which makes it a really interesting uh, movie to air during the month of Halloween. But it did. It aired on NBC. It ran against on CBS um, The Waltons and an episode of Hawaii Five-0. And then on ABC was uh, an actual Dr. Seuss special, which was Halloween is Grinch Night, which I have to tell you I've never seen, and a game of football. Um, it did really well. It came in at number 28 for the week. Um, Kiss Me Strand in the Park came in at number 45, so it actually ranked quite a bit lower. And Cotton Candy ended up at number 102 for the season, tying with Anatomy of a Seduction, which is a movie we've covered here for Valentine's Day. Um, Salvage, which was that Andy Griffith pilot movie yeah. where he builds a rocket ship out of junk, which is a great oh, movie. Oh, so good. Yes. Yeah. Great show. Great show. Yeah. Yeah, and something called Champions, a love story, which I haven't seen yet. Um, the rating was a 19.1 slash 30. And I'm really bad about deciphering what those mean, but I think it roughly means that 30% of people who had televisions in their home were watching, uh, Cotton Candy in the United Air. So that's almost a third of the country, which is great. Um, Ron Howard was only 24 when he made the movie. And in an interview I read, he called it a fairy tale with realistic characters. And when he said, uh, fairy tale, he meant that because everything was going to end well for people. And it's interesting because there's a movie that came out in the 90s i'm just thinking of it now called friends till the end with shannon doherty which is like a fairy tale gone to hell kind of movie so it's about a rock band where shannon doherty is the lead singer i don't know if either one of you have seen it i have not um no, she does her own vocal i have not oh. and it's amazing and um and so she's in this band and she's shannon doherty and so I mean, she's beautiful and she's amazing and then some girl uh, sees her and wants to be her. So it's kind of like single white female, but with a teenage rock band. Damn. And, and it was right at the time huh. when the cranberries was really popular and they do a lot of the music in the movie. And um, anyway, but she called, it was called like a fairy tale, but also all about Eve. So it was like a dark fairy tale. So I just thought of that just sorry, when I read that quote. So, uh, and as John Harrison said in his review, this was actually supposed to be a pilot for a potential series. I'm not sure what that series would have looked like 
because I guess because she was going to stay behind and not go to MIT. <laughs> wrong choice, Leslie King. Wrong choice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So according to a newspaper. Oh, yeah, according to a newspaper article to promote cotton candy, Howard um, was actually working on something with Henry Winkler at the time. And I'm assuming that that project would go on to become Night Shift, which came out a few years later in 1982. But they, yes. they don't specify what the project was. Yeah. Um, been, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So they had been working on that for a while. Um, I think I gave you most of the other trivia. Um, and as uh, as. Oh, my God. As my kid said, I was getting you guys mixed up. The kiss ran the same week, which is amazing. Um, and like I said, this was the second. Oh, it was Grand Theft Auto was his first. I'm sorry, Ron Howard's first movie. Um, I think I said Eat My Dust, and I don't know who did yeah, that. He starred in Eat My Dust. Oh, okay. He okay. So he directed Grand Theft Auto, which is now a famous video game. And, yeah, no, I know they're not related. Sorry, I was just trying to tell you. And then um, he did a few shorts. <laughs> you, you work. It worked. It was Sorry. hilarious. Everybody's still <laughs> laughing. Um, and so it was, like uh, John Harrison said, it was shot in Dallas at the um, uh, Lake Highlands High School and the Town East Mall. What I will tell you about the mall is that it was expanded on in 1986. And they added two more levels of stores and a third level food court. And the stage area is, is now the center area. So I guess it used to be in a different part of the mall, but now they've reconfigured the whole thing. Um, and I don't know that I recognize a lot of the stores in it. I'm thinking now, uh, I don't think any of them, like the, I don't see a Fox more or a Contempo Casual. I think it was a little before those kind of hit it. So, and as I said, Mark Wheeler had appeared in Zuma Beach. He's been in several Ron Howard productions, as um, had been pointed out, including a TV movie called Skyward with Betty Davis from 1980, Ed TV, Far and Away, Backdraft, and, of course, Apollo 13. Um, and prior to Con Candy, Mark Wheeler had starred in a TV series called Mobile One, which was created by Jack Webb. And it was supposed to be like emergency, but it was about a newsman and his cameraman as they covered various stories oh, around wow. the city. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I've never seen it. Uh, but Mark Wheeler, I think, was the cameraman in that. You can tell I was a little obsessed with Mark Wheeler. I looked him up quite a bit. Because <laughs> um, I love it. So Leslie King played Brenda. Um, who was the drummer of the band. So what's so great about Leslie King? Did you know that she wrote the vampire movies to die for? Do you remember the to die for? Oh, films sure. Yes. Yeah, she oh, wrote those. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she, wow. Was, she was in the gas pump girls. I love um, that. Oh, fun. So oh, I, yes. I'm in, yeah. I'm in love with her. Cause she's also the drummer. And when my niece and I are the same age and we wanted to be in a band when we were like 14 and we, I was going to be the drummer. And she was going to be the singer, and I never owned a pair of drums, and she couldn't sing. So it didn't work out very well for us, but we dreamed about it. And I was so whenever I see girl drummers, it always sticks out in my head. Like Gina Shock is like a huge um, hero of mine. So anyway, Manuel Padilla, um, who is, I didn't write down his character's name, so I feel really stupid saying this, but he's the Hispanic guy in the band. He was a child actor. And he stopped working on film and TV um, in about 1983 after appearing in Scarface. He actually did an episode of Happy Days Before Cotton Candy. And he was in American Graffiti and the sequel. So I'm guessing he knew Ron Howard. And that's how he got the part. Um, he died in 2008 at the age of 52, which I thought was really sad. Um, yeah, he was really good in this. I'm not sure I remember him in Happy Days or American Graffiti, but I haven't seen American Graffiti in like 20 years. So one of the things that I thought was so interesting was that, as had been noted, this was written by Ron and Clint Howard. And in an interview to promote the movie, Clint Howard said that 
he wrote most of the dialogue and he wanted to make sure that Torben was somebody everybody hated and that he was actually a composite of five different people that both Ron and Clint hated in real life. <laughs> so they took different people that they knew and things that they were apparently really hated about them and put them into one guy named Torben. And that's how we got that character. Now he says he wanted to make sure everybody wow. hated him, but that didn't work with me, Clint. You failed because I loved him. I loved him very much. <laughs> So Charles Martin Smith wrote two of the songs and apparently oh, the wow. actors uh, playing the bandmates actually played the music that you hear in the movie. And he claims that the vocals were live. So when they shot them performing, um, that was them actually performing. Um, and that wasn't like lip sync or anything, which I thought was really interesting. And as I mentioned, Ron Howard, oh, I'm sorry, Rance Howard produced it. Um, it didn't get a lot of good reviews. I only pulled one. Um, David B. and Cooley from the Fort Lauderdale News thought the film had some nice touches, but was much like the name of the band. He thought it was really fluffy. Um, somebody else did an interview with one of the Howards and um, they wrote, they did the interview and they promoted it. But then they did a little sidebar where they thought the movie they said was a dud. And, um, it had nice touches, like this reviewer said, but that it just overall didn't have uh, the effect that it should have. And I think that's unfair. It's sad that this movie ha doesn't have a legitimate home video release because I think it's the kind of movie that's ripe for reappraisal, um, especially because Ron Howard has gone on to do so many amazing things. And like Spielberg, you know, there should be an interest in seeing his TV movie work. But of course, you know, Spielberg did Duel, but nobody right. remembers something evil, which is the other movie he did. So maybe that's Ron Howard's whatever cross to bear. But he also did apparently that movie Skyward I mentioned, which I didn't realize with Betty Davis. So I think both those movies should come out and, you know, we should watch them and take them as part of his filmography. But anyway, that's um, Cotton Candy. I'm really glad we got to see it. Thank you, Mike, so much for um, choosing that as one of oh. the two films i'm honored and now we're going to go on to your review of senior trip the eye of the beholder looking inwardly will find that its image is reflected in the mirrors of the mind In the mirrors of the mind In the mirrors of the mind Now, this is something. Now, I want to say, I gave Senior Trip, I want to Keep a little qualifier here first. I really gave it short shrift in the book. I saw it when it first aired, um, remembered it vividly, and kind of, you know, didn't do a deep watch on it when I was writing the book. I just sort of had it on because I thought I knew it. But it turns out I didn't really know it until this podcast made me know it. And I'm very excited. <laughs> so, Senior Trip, awesome. 1981. Director, Kenneth Johnson with Scott Bale, Faye Grant, Randy Brooks, and Mickey Rooney. Uh, now, I always have, like, the little qualifying points here. So it says, Hicks in the City, Sex Pros, Nerds, Jocks, Virgins, Closet Case. Um, <laughs> the CBS TV movie Senior Trip follows a school bus filled with lucky last-term high school students from Youngstown, Ohio, to the heart of New York City. One of the kids is gay. Another is repeatedly burned while trying to score weed and hookers in Times Square. A theater chick auditions on Broadway for Mickey Rooney. Eventually, a goofy couple embarks on a sped-up slapstick subway joint set to silent movie music. 
The Harried class chaperone just can't keep up with any of these antics. Scott Bayo, as one of the visiting team Buckeyes, wears John Lennon glasses to indicate seriousness. He's a hemophiliac, but nobody should laugh when he cuts himself on glass from a broken window. Nothing could be funny about that when he's bedecked in such somber eyewear. However muted and melodramatic this senior trip may be, even a TV movie remains infinitely preferable to the excremental 1995 big screen bust National Lampoon senior trip. This senior uh. trip was also a Quinn Martin production and thus shares lineage with crusty 70s cop shows on the order of Barnaby Jones, Cannon, and the Streets of San Francisco. Although in those series, kids seem to have no problem scoring weed and hookers, particularly in Times Square. So true. Yeah, it doesn't have the same nice. grit as Streets of San Francisco, I have to. <laughs> there is grit. There's grit of plenty. I guess so, yeah. I've been watching Canon. It isn't quite as, as tough as Canon, but it has its charms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And can yeah, can I just phone in the car? Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> can I uh, mention just one thing about National Lampoon's senior trip? Is that I was an intern at National Lampoon in the summer of '94 when that script came in, and I read it, and they asked me what I thought about it, and I said it's garbage. And then a year later, the film came out, and I thought, <laughs> okay, well, there you have it. No, is this the one with Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall? Yes. I liked it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I, seen, oh. I, I saw it in the drive-in, and I remember really enjoying it. I saw it the afternoon it opened at the Chinese Theater in L.A., mm. and uh, why am I blanking? Mark McKinney was there with two friends oh. hooting wow. and laughing at how bad the movie was. Oh, <laughs> but it didn't seem mean. It just it seemed kind of affectionate and like he was going to go raz his fellow <laughs> kid in the hall about it. Well, I have a huge crush on Kevin McDonald, so maybe that kind of mm. overshadowed. He's my he's my Torben. I wish you would. I wish you would. I saw him in person once. I almost died. It took everything in me not to just walk up to him and say, "Can I sit on your lap?" But I'm not allowed to do that. So, um, yes. So I held back. I held back. He was with Dave Foley at a screening of a vampire movie with. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It kind of came and went. It has somebody from Saturday Night Live. Monday. In it. Anyway, oh, was, I, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. It was a, it was a, <laughs> oh, it was oh, like sorry. a weird comedy. It has the, you know, the guy from Jay and Silent Bob. Jay was in it, and um, somebody from Saturday Night Live who was really famous at the time was in it, and one of the kids in the hall, and um, and it screened at Shriek Fest. And it was kind of a comedy about vampires working in an office. And Kevin McDonald came with Dave Foley, so maybe Dave Foley was in it. And um, and I just about died that we were all in the same theater together. <laughs> that was wow. just that was a lot of nothing right there. So anyway, um, yeah. yeah. So so let's start with you uh, talking about senior trip. Um, I'd seen it before, only vaguely remembered it, and I'm not sure. Dan, have you ever seen it? No, I had not. Okay. All right, so let's start. Let's start with Mike, and uh, you tell me what you thought of it on this viewing. I loved it hmm. to the point that I'm going to watch it again in the next day or two. Oh wow! I, it was it was so much better than I remembered, and I remembered liking it. Uh, now, it, what was interesting to me is that you know I grew up in Brooklyn, um, so I, and I was in New York. Went to high school in Manhattan, so I was in New York a lot in you know in the in the city a lot in 1981, and it was a hellhole, and I never understood why anyone would want to come there. Uh, the movie accurately depicted it as a hellhole, but also accurately depicted why you'd want to go there because it was so exciting. Yeah. Um, 
the it seemed like a musical from the get-go and then it sort of is a musical which we'll get to i was very impressed that they showed an accurate travel route the bus travels from new jersey <laughs> to staten island over the verrazano bridge on the bqe past the statue of liberty and then over the brooklyn bridge into manhattan so they got that right i cannot stop singing going to the big apple <laughs> Gonna get myself a bite yeah <laughs> Big Apple. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, let's do it together. He's it's like, so some of the part where he's like, it's going to be applesauce, you know? Like, yeah, it's apple so- juice, applesauce. I mean, it was, they it was really, they, they milked that apple. Uh, sure Times Square stuff, amazing. The theater marquees, I wrote down all the movies we could see Friday the 13th, part two, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. Alligator, Search and Destroy, Fantasex Girls, High School Memories, uh, Happy Birthday to Me, right. Outland. And beyond shame with Seika. Um, That's right. No, am I right? Am I right that there's nudity in that marquee? Uh, One of those porno well, movies looked like it's yeah. had a topless woman. It, it probably was because there was nudity know. everywhere in Times Square on the marquees and and yeah. among the denizens walking around at the time. But I, I thought, you know, I mean, a nice surprise. I didn't realize Julie Montgomery for Julia Montgomery from Revenge of the Nerds was the call girl. Uh, hi, Marley. <laughs> Hi, Denise. How are you? Oh, oh, you look just, you look gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. So do you. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm surprised to see you. I didn't realize it was this week you were coming. Oh, you have company? No, just about, though. Oh, th- then I'll, I'll just, uh... <laughs> you just come on in a minute. is really beautiful it's comfy comfy oh this is wonderful beats youngstown yeah you could say that (laughs) hey i'm surprised your father let you come yeah i paid my own way i figures is he still beating up your mother yeah or me Denise, you can put all that behind you after graduation. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you know, I'm not really sure I want to wait that long. See, I've been, I've been thinking that... Oh, oh, okay, you really are expecting company. <sighs> I don't want to... Yeah. It's a business thing or I'd ask you to stay. But look, I, um, I definitely want to talk to you, help you get connected you really want to come and live in the city. Oh, I really, really do. All right. Let's do lunch, then. Okay. Where are you staying? I'm staying at the Tate. Oh. Oh, I know. It's nothing like this place. Chin up, kid. All this can be yours. I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Um, Marlene? Yeah. Um... Bye. Bye. Hello. 
party? Please, come in. I, I liked, uh, you know, it was yes. unflinching. Unflinching. Um, said a lot of things without having to overstate it, um, such as the uh, the kid who is an artist who goes home with the guy that, uh, you know, and I was I was thinking, the guy who picks him up in, in Washington Square Park, I was thinking, it was a more innocent time. You would just think, wow, this is a nice guy interested in my artwork. Whereas now, you know, automatically, it's like, you know, the, the pedal alarm goes off. Uh, Jason Alexander with right. hair. That's right. He screamed the burning as a heavy metal movies event yes. in Yonkers. That was great. Uh, I, I thought his character was paying homage to uh, Scott Bayo's The Boy Who Drinks Too Much. Who drank too much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought Bayo was good, and I thought his story was interesting. We had not seen that angle on it. Um, you know, he's a, he's a hemophiliac who feels terrible about his father working so hard to give him a normal life that he wants to go into business to pay restitution to his father. And I thought that was that was a much deeper angle than we would have to that we have to take. Like, you know, the Broadway kids and uh and the call girl girl. Um much more surface. And um and then of course the prank with the horse I thought was actually hilarious. Especially when they showed so. the horse was really under the sheet and stuff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think like what an incredible felony it would be to steal one of those horses and bring it up to, like those kids would not be going back to uh young youngstown or as the uh as barracuda face the chaperone says at one point youngston you'll be back on the first bus to youngston <laughs> yeah that was like a crazy scene i really liked the hooker because she was so nonplussed by it like it just was like another day yeah and, that and was it's great yeah. It seemed like they were going to, so in a regular theatrical, I think they would have indicated that she would have thought she was supposed to have sex with the horse, but she actually right. says, I don't do it bareback or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, extra, yeah. 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 And I thought that that was great that they actually made it kind of, uh, okay for TV. Yeah. They, they totally. toned down, but it was That's still really I mean, great. It said what it need, what needed to be said without overstating. And I like that it had yeah. that those constraints on. So, yeah, I have to say this movie was really strange to me. I think I couldn't tell what it was. Like, it's kind of funny and then it's kind of serious. I think some of the stuff you brought up has been like really good points. I don't know that I love Scott Bayo's story, but I love Scott Bayo pretty much in anything he did in this era. I thought he was really good. It was yeah. different. And I was thinking about when they broke the window, that the window that would end up cutting his arm. Nobody referred to that later. They broke a window in a hotel. <laughs> like that's a big deal, you know, yeah. to just smash open, vandalize a. One of the maids would have seen that, and they destroyed that floor because there was that part where the lady who was taking care of them was walking through, and there was just stuff all over the hall. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah, and she was she made uh, the David character Randy Brooks, I think, um, clean it up, even though he hadn't created it. And um, and was that Randy Brooks singing? The Apple song, the guy uh, who's bringing on his tapes to everybody. Yeah, I mean, it, he sang it on the bus. It looked like him. I, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I, I yeah, went for it. It was him. Yeah, that reminded me like a graduation day. That scene in the middle of graduation day when everyone suddenly oh. breaks out into yeah, just right. acoustic guitar strumming and maybe a very evil guy is on a harmonica or something. No spoilers. But yeah, that's what that <laughs> yeah. kind of reminded me of. Yeah, but I guess I guess I really I really liked the character Denise. I guess because it's the girl, and I sort of gravitated towards yeah. her and her sort of coming of age story for having a bad reputation, and then coming to the city and hoping to escape with her friend played by Julia Montgomery, and what she thought it was going to be, and that 
this reputation that she had developed, it looked like at that point when she found out that her friend was a prostitute, that that was going to be just her life. And she was really disappointed in what could, what could be her future. And like, there's that great scene where she goes into that diner and that girl's wearing the exact same dress as her. And, but she looks like she's really been through the ringer like four or five times. And, and she's like, Oh, you knew on the street. And like, it was just this really interesting, like what I could be in five years if I'm not careful. And, um, and that was really interesting, but, but it played into like, I guess it was so dramatic. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting more hijinks. So like high school USA is the most hijinky movie we reviewed on here. And, And I was expecting high school USA. My my description of High School USA was the worst one I think I've done in the entire uh, run of this podcast because I got lost in the hijinks, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you know, I was thinking of we've done a couple of these movies. We did Poison Ivy. Mm. We've done this. And there was another movie I was thinking of, Ozuma Beach. Mm. And all of the coming-of-age teen comedies that we've done that have been made for TV, uh, with the exception of maybe Cotton Candy, have had, like, multiple storylines oh. that – yeah, where you're watching like ten different people do ten different things, and and it's it's not centered at all really on one character, and I think that's interesting, and I don't know why that is, maybe because they want to appeal to every person watching in terms of the teenagers that they were marketing towards, but um, they really like ran the gamut of characters. It certainly, certainly keeps the plot going. Yeah, uh, just if you if you shift the story every few minutes, yeah. It's definitely brisk. I will say, although I really appreciated the story with the girl who wanted to become the Broadway star, she did not need to sing for five minutes. Oh, that song goes on and on. It's a very credible, lame Broadway song. Yeah, she's our Torben. Yeah, that, that well, that that's the thing is the moment she starts singing, you realize, oh, I think she's an actual like Broadway gal, uh, and, and yeah. so so at that moment, it's like, okay, yeah, I got it, I I got, and then like three minutes later, you're like, okay, I got it, and you're like, can we bring the horse back, please? Yeah. Come on, oh dear. Uh, <laughs> I think with all the intertwining plots and the intertwining tones. I kept thinking, well, that is what your senior trip would be like. There'd yeah. be hijinks, there'd be tragedy, there'd be sweet exactly. moments, there'd be sadness. And I, I, I think it really conveyed that very nicely. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think maybe I was just sort of put off by the tone. I wasn't expecting it. Maybe maybe it was my expectation wasn't met, which is because, you know, I will never pre-shaw a TV movie ever. And I didn't dislike it. I just right. feel like maybe I thought the tone was going to be more like High School USA. Well, and, they uh, sold it that way. If you look at, like, the cartoon that was in TV Guide, it yeah. certainly was. And that's what I showed up hoping to see. But uh, I even liked it, you know, when I was 13. Yeah, I remember liking it pretty. I probably liked it because Scott Baio was in it, and I was super into Happy Days. Yeah. And I don't know that I recognized any of the other actors, but, man, they cast it. And we'll talk about that later. But they filled this film Whoever cast it knew what stars look like because oh, yeah. a lot of these people went on to have really great careers, including Mickey Rooney. God, just imagine it. Oh, Bobby, wouldn't it be something working here? Like when we did Anne Frank last year or Our Town in the 10th grade? Only not in Youngstown. But on Broadway! Oh, do you think we ever would be good enough? Hey! There you are! Okay, go up and see him now. (laughs) (laughs) 
It wasn't bad, Pete, and uh, it wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. Who have they got to direct it? Well, they're talking to now. You want to believe this? Bob Fawcett. Ah, Bob Fawcett. That's right. Ooh, would I like to work with that I guy? I know you would. Oh, hi, kids. Come on in. When have they got a start date for that, Pete? Uh, we'll talk about that at dinner. Okay, okay, fine. You like my hair? Uh-huh. Wish it was mine. <laughs> Did you like the show? You were fantastic. Thank you. Hey, I'm Meg. Judy. Yeah. Bob. How are you? Good. Who sent you? Your lawyer. Sam. What a man, Sam, huh? He said you might have a little time to talk to us. See, we're into theater back Mickey, home. Mickey, come on, Mickey. It's getting late. Let's go. Always oh, right, kids. I am in kind of a bind today. Could you come back tomorrow? Oh, sure. Where are you from? Youngstown, Ohio. Well, welcome to our huddled masses. Yeah. Uh, we were told New York would welcome us if we were tired and poor. As long as we're not too tired, too poor, and mostly come from Europe. Oh, did you get the line? Yes, I And did. I love the reading. Beautiful. I believe the correct quote is, as long as you're not tired, retired, or too poor, and you come from Western Europe. Yeah. Whose card is that? John Kennedy. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, I have to, I do have to run along, but if you can come hey, back. Hey, let's go. You agents, please, they're always going. They're, 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 they're villainous. Hey, listen. Come on, if you're going to call... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he I, was one of the Silent Night I saw him in Silent Night Dead in Night 5. Yeah, he was so good in that. God, what else has he done? He is great in that, yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm not I just really saw sure. him in a movie called The Milky Life, which is <laughs> which Laird uh, Jimenez from the Alamo Draft House turned me on to. It is not to be believed. Oh, oh my God. I need to uh, see that. I need to see that. He plays a billion... I've never heard of this. He plays a billionaire who decides he's going to cash it all in. He doesn't want to be part of the rat race anymore. He's inspired by his baby grandson to just become a baby. He hires uh, Marianne <laughs> Sajwak from Sugar Baby to wow. be his wet nurse. And that's what oh. the movie's about. Oh, no, no, no. I don't need to see this. <laughs> I need to see it again as soon as we stop talking. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Real quick, I want to get Dan. Um, tell me what you thought of it and why you thought you thought that. Oh hey everybody! Um, uh, so so here's here's the thing. I am a huge Kenneth Johnson fan. Um, I have yes. been since uh, um, uh, my podcast, eventually Super Train, which is around episode seventy seven. Uh, the 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 format is based on one of his shows, Cliffhangers. Uh, oh sure. Shadow Chasers is uh, one of my all time favorite um, short lived TV shows. I love Incredible Hulk, V, and all, all the other stuff. Bionic Woman, I adore. And I actually, when I finished Cliffhangers, I actually wrote to his website and said, Hey, I talked about Cliffhangers. And then, like, a week later, he got back to me and said, Oh, hey, Dan, Kenny here. Uh, I've been. Ep- directing an episode of like chicago fire uh i'm gonna listen to it thanks so much and he gave me some rundown on cliffhangers i was like wow he's a really nice guy he's a really yeah he's a really nice guy so yeah the the tricky thing is when i saw his name on it i was like this is going to be the best and then i thought what are my favorite sort of films that show up in mcbeardo's book well I don't want to say the shitty films, but I want to say they're the films that are King Frat. They're splits. Yeah, the those party are animal. Yeah. Yes, they're 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 the films that like King Frat. When I was a kid and I would watch these films, I was watching them from the TNA. Now I watch them to see them be crazy. And so, like, King Frat, to me, right. Splits in, in many ways, and Party Animal, those are just the three that came off the top of my head, are 
absolutely nutty films. They're not about their screwballs. Oh, screwballs! Yeah. I, I actually prefer Loose Screws, the the sequel. Well, but I mean, the two of them. Oh yeah. As, oh, as, oh as, okay. As, as, they, as, yes, we yeah, we yeah. do like like it's when um, Francis Ford Coppola took Godfather and Godfather Two and made them the Godfather saga. Right. That's what we're the thinking. Sock. Yes, the exactly. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, so, so so to me, like oh, and f- like uh, Fireballs is another film that I absolutely adore. Yeah. Um, yes. The the more the less they are about um, anything human, the more I love them. The more they're crazy, the more I love them. <laughs> and, and the thing is, when I sat down with Senior Trip, I was like, Oh my gosh, Kenneth Johnson! I love Kenneth Johnson's work. Many of the names of the people in the uh, the co writer, the producer, the the people on the crew, he uses people over and over again. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in a good way. He he used to use folks. So I recognized a lot of the names, and I was like, oh my gosh, these are a lot of people who worked with him on Cliffhangers and Bionic Woman and Shadow Chasers and things like that. So when I sat down to watch it, the first 15 minutes or so, the sequence in the bus, best opening sequence for the best, I'm going to say slasher rather than TNA film I've never seen. There are several ground rules that I intend to have enforced. No alcoholic beverages will be allowed, not even in your rooms, which will be checked. If any student is found with alcoholic drinks, he will be sent back to Youngstown on the next available bus. The same rule holds for dope. And let me make this very clear. I consider marijuana dope. The smoking, eating, sniffing, in any way ingesting any sort of drug is strictly out. If any student is even caught with it, he will be sent back to Youngstown on the next available bus. And now... That ain't a real safe place to stand. A word or two regarding... sex. A word or two... She knows more than we thought. (laughs) I know there is a great temptation at your age to experiment, but it won't be tolerated on this trip. There will be no cohabitation either with classmates or some lowlife you meet there in New York. Mr. Rona, Miss Banikowski, and myself will keep a careful vigil and I want this clearly understood. Any students found indulging in such inappropriate activities will be sent back to Youngston on the next available bus. <laughs> the Tate Hotel is not to be transformed into a zoo. I will not stand for that. I watch it and I'm like, I can't wait for these people to get to where they're going to get to and then someone's going to start killing them. <laughs> uh, but that, that that's obviously not what's going to happen. But the thing is, when they actually arrive in... Just their souls. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, when they arrive in New York City, I thought Kenneth Johnson doesn't really do comedy. And when he does comedy, it's a little forced. That's not really his thing. He's drama, he's sci-fi, he does some action, he does some horror. Comedy isn't his thing. So I thought, how how is this going to work? And... In the end, the, a lot of the comedy, apart from that opening bus sequence, which I really love, because they're on the bus and it's moving and everyone's moving around, it's very kinetic. I love that. 
But when they actually settle in, I was like, okay, this isn't going to be a comedy. And then when the the artist is out there and the song starts up, um, I don't remember what the song is now. Like, the eye of the beholder. All I could think of, I suddenly had, I don't know if this is a thing, like I had where, where the boys are phobia or where the boys are-itis. Well, you start watching the original Where the Boys Are, and you're like, this is going to be so much fun. And then you have that sequence where the one, oh, yeah. where the one gal is walking down the street, and she's absolutely torn up in the middle of the night, and you're like, this is not fun anymore. And Senior Trip has a bit of that, where you, I thought it was going to be so much fun. I mean, Jason Alexander is puking out a window. Hello? That... <laughs> I'm in, and the, and then the one gal is about to become a prostitute, and and, and it's it's so it's <laughs> so funny. yeah it's so fun. And then the guy the eye the eye of the beholder thing reminded me of like um uh what is it um pigs on the road to nowhere? No, that's that's uh, last house on the left. What's that's last house yes, on the left. Yes, well, I I forget. There's there's a song in the movie Pigs at the beginning. Um, when the, the, uh, Mark Lawrence's daughter, the lead character is like coming into the, the town where she stays in the movie and I'm forgetting the lyrics. I'll come up with them randomly in a moment. And it was like, um, uh, but, but it's just like this super sad seventies song and you would get that in like a lot of movies at that time. Um, that's the only one I'm thinking of at this moment, but, but there were others. That... Well, there's meatballs. There's that weird ballad in the middle oh, of yes. the, you know, yeah. If you let me, I could be your very best friend. See, that's why you... <laughs> hey, wait, what movie was that? That's Meatballs. That was in Meatballs during yeah. Carol's oh, Day. Oh, okay. I love Meatballs so much. When oh Rudy doesn't have a parent show up, so he just hangs out oh, with Trip. Right. Yeah, Rudy and, the Rabbit? And, <laughs> Woody the Rabbit, the winner. Yeah. And, and so so to me, like hearing that song reminded me of movies like like Pigs or like like even like... I, and this isn't quite right, but like Carnival of Blood has several weird songs in it, uh, like sing about carousels and things, which is just like I just wanted to watch a movie <laughs> where like a miss, like a, a pock face Burt Young might be killing people and ripping their intestines out. I don't want to hear soft rock folk songs about. And so, like the Eye of the Beholder song was like, ooh, that's a little too much for me it was a lot it, it was a lot there there are moments that i i really love in it and and like i said i'm a big kenneth johnson fan but it's it's like there are moments that i really loved it's 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 it has <laughs> it's it's fun um but there were there were bits of it that i didn't love but it was okay i would like to say i had the what you're talking about the where the boys are effect with the movie Georgie Girl, oh. which I put on because of the song, thinking this will be a frothy romp, and it's just devastating. Yes, yeah, definitely, yeah. And I guess, yeah, we all wanted a frothy romp in Senior <laughs> Trip. I'm pretty sure that's what we were thinking. But your reading of it's really interesting, like what you say about like that it's a hellhole, but at the same time, um, you could see that it was exciting for people on the outside. And yeah. I guess that couple that are like going through the town in like super fast motion yes. are sort of emblematic of that where they're trying to see everything because everything needs to be seen, you know, especially right. from a town in, um, they're from just a little town in Ohio, you know, so like it does kind of capture that. It's just, I don't know, just the tone and, and literally that Broadway number. 
It did stop at dead. And you can tell, like, all right, we got Mickey Rooney for one yes, day. Yeah. We're going to make this work. And so let's talk about the, the quote-unquote gay kid because yeah. he ends up having – okay, so without knowing much about it, we'd have to go into all the storylines, and I know we can't do that. But his character is kind of compelling because he's this artist, and he gets approached um, at a park by this really good-looking older guy named Jerry, played by Peter Caulfield, who was in Times Square, the movie, and um, as Trini Alvarado's dad. And I'll talk about him in a minute. I guess – he maybe doesn't realize he's gay. Is that right? And yeah. he gets so scared that he asks the girl with the bad reputation, Denise, played by Faye Grant, to have sex with him. And she has been really put out by her reputation. And so she's like, well, how much are you going to pay me? And he hands her his art book in this really rather poignant moment. And um, and then she's like, no, you know what? I'll give you one for free, which is <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, like, they're laying in bed. And I can't tell. Is he really gay? Or is he just... Well, I mean, I, I think he's just a sensitive kid. And, uh, you know, he was open. And, you know, 1981, uh, I, you know, it was it was not easy for gay people in New York. I can't imagine in Youngstown, Ohio, yeah. what it would be to be 16 and sort of have this fluid sexual moment with a guy that you really think is cool and awesome. Um, and I think, you know, like everything else, he's, he's working through it. And I, I was very uh, moved by that. And it also seemed very credible that the girl with the bad rep would have this moment and they would bond uh, in this yeah. way. Yeah, I just was confused because I feel like at the end we're not really – maybe he's not even sure what's going right. on. Yeah, and maybe he is, yeah. maybe he isn't. He just, you know, he had a moment that freaked him out. And he'll make peace with it as he gets older. One way, we hope. I can't. I can't imagine anybody being freaked out over Peter Caulfield because I live for him approaching me at a park <laughs> and, and telling me he likes my art. I've been waiting. It just never happened. He's my Torben. <laughs> Everybody's going to be my Torben in this movie. But oh uh, yeah, it was an interesting. That storyline, I guess, sticks out to me the most because it because he's sort of separated from everybody. He's on his own little adventure, right. and he doesn't really interact a lot with the other people. And so it's kind of interesting that it's just was an interesting story. And I'm curious about like in 1981, what people really thought of that on TV. That's pretty bold. And For to sure. have teenage sex like that, because like they clearly slept together and are still in high school. Yeah. And I don't know that we saw a ton of that on TV at the time either. I, I wonder about that. I'm, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like maybe we did, but then I can't think of specific examples. No, I remember seeing something, and it might have been a Quincy or something, where somebody was at a house party, and there was a girl in a bed, and she was just having, like, a train, kind of. And so, like, whoever came in the room would sleep with her. And this kid, I I don't know why I think it's a Quincy, because I don't know why that would be in Quincy. But... um, Well, it didn't end well if it was in Quincy, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, they have stories where, like, somebody commits suicide, and then they follow the lives of the kids affected by the suicide or whatever. But And then this kid goes into the bedroom, and I didn't really fully understand what was happening, but I was watching it with, like, my babysitter. And my babysitter was like, oh, she's just having sex with all the guys. And it shocked me, because I was like, what? <laughs> who, who does that? Can you do that? I was thinking of James at, at 15 when it became James yeah. at 16. Now, I think he had, I remember like his grandfather wanted to hire him a prostitute, but then he didn't, he didn't have sex with the prostitute. But then I think he did have sex with like a Swedish exchange student at the end of the episode. Yeah, I feel like there was something about that. And at the time it was groundbreaking. I feel like it, it was, was yeah, for sure. Yeah, so this it was kind of uncharted territory for the most part, I think, for network TV. So, and but kids, the the age that Denise and um, I'm sorry, Jerry would have been uh, 
would have they would have probably been having sex you know so so it was clearly like it was realistic in that way yeah it was 17 18 yeah i also like that she walked around smoking cigarettes the whole time she did which you never see yeah yeah she was a little edgy and i I hate that she threw away that beautiful dress because the hooker was wearing it because i really i really love that dress from the basement at alexander's or wherever it was (laughs) (laughs) that's right so like it was it was an oddball film i'm i'm kind of wishing i could go back to my 10 year old self the night i saw this and try to figure out what i thought when i saw it i must have been thinking that being in high school would be so cool because i had a way of when i was that age of filtering out bad things right and only seeing like the fun and i probably would have just remembered the horse and like um i don't know vincent spano throwing water balloons out a window it was pretty funny that he had that shaving cream perfectly That's right for like days yeah that was pretty that was a good gig he never left the hotel as far as i can tell yeah <laughs> I think he had the best trip. Yeah, I would say Self- so. Yeah, self-contained. Nobody got hurt. Right. Had a little fun. Yeah, I think he might have had. <laughs> Came away with the, yeah stories for a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I don't know if there's any other stories we want to talk about. Um, does any other story stick out to anybody? No, I think that's it. I, I was just going to say the moment when the one guy from Girls Night Out, the farting, cheating boyfriend from Girls Night Out. And the fia- yeah, yeah, yeah. fiance from He Knows You're Alone, when the um, the the guy who's not really a pimp takes his money and says, "Stand yeah. in the middle of Times Square." Hey, man, uh, it's going down. Lots of good stuff, man. All right, all right. Uh, I'm looking for some action. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, what kind of action? Well, uh, a really great chick, you know. <laughs> you bet I do. I got just a chick for you. Her name is Delilah. She make your brains fall out. Lila. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. How much? Well, now she don't come cheap, so to speak. How much? Uh, how much you got? Um. Uh, fifty bucks. All right, my man, you are in luck. <laughs> For fifty bucks, you got it. Hey, take me to her. Oh no, I'll bring her here. Then she take you up to her place. Oh, sad. Well, you see. Oh, she likes me to bring the cash up front. Up front? Hey, man, that's the way it's done. Hey, come on, you know that. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. Okay, um... Here you go. Okay. All right, all right. Now you just wait right over there, by the big app. Uh huh. Okay, and I'll be back. All right. The the funny thing about it was like I always think like when Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight came out, we were so excited to see Jason in Manhattan. But I think that scene when he runs out to the center of Times Square and the camera is circling around him is probably more expansive than anything yeah. that happened in Friday the 13th Part 8, as much as I love it. I absolutely agree. It's, it's really lovely. It's really wonderfully done because it's, it's, it's presented as like, yes, it's, it's finally my dream is coming true. I'm going to sleep with a $50 hooker. You know, and he's like in the th- and the camera's spitting around him, but it's like it's it's very funny and sad at the same time. Yeah, it is, and I like what you said about like the camera and the expansiveness of it because something we talk a lot about on um, here about. 
TV movies is that sometimes they're shot very statically mm-hmm. or they take place in really confined spaces because they're low budget and um, and they don't have a lot of time to make them. And so they like bad Ronald's in just one home. Right. And they every so often they go outside for two seconds and then they come back in the home. And so there are several movies that are are have a cinematic feel to it. But this one kind of felt like something you would see in the theater at this time. I think it aped the genre really well in terms of the aesthetics. Yeah. And it did have a very film like quality to it. Um, it makes me think of another movie reviewed that Dan didn't care for as much. Oh, no. uh, it was called, oh my God, what was the name of it? The one with Gregory Harrison for Ladies Only? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, yeah, I kind of liked it. Yeah, but you know, it had like a theatrical feel to it. Yeah. And um, and this does too. And uh, I guess I think they were both in New York too. Um, but there's just something about it. it. It captured something bigger than you saw in a lot of TV movies, especially at this time. And the TV movie was still very popular, but it wasn't like the ABC movie of the week popular at yes, the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what we maybe should talk about is the scene with the near rape of the girl with the bad rep, because I thought that was That's also right. horribly believable. Yeah, that was pretty upsetting. And I remember my husband only watched part of it with me and he sat down. And he's like, oh, is this going <laughs> <this gonna laughs> to turn into something? And I'm like, I hope not. It's a TV movie. And it was OK at the end, sort of. But yeah, you're right. It was very like unnerving. And yeah. it, her life seemed really dark. It did. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I wish, only getting darker. Yeah, I wish I understood a bit more of her life. I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite get, get it. Well, I think it was she had said in the bed. I mean, my assumption was I think all the character background kind of comes out in the love scene right. or the yeah. post-sex scene with the kid who might be gay when she tells the story about how. So she had had sex with a couple of guys, but it was the wrong guys, and it ended up becoming a thing that haunted her. And I kind of related to it in a way because she said something about sixth grade, and as I hear the word sixth grade, and I think, oh my god, sixth yeah, grade. Right. But in sixth grade, we were talking pretty edgy stuff then. We didn't understand it, but we were talking it. And it is true that you develop these reps at very young ages. And I remember a couple of girls who developed really early, and like in like in grade school, and they were tormented at like nine and 10 years old and they would get their bra snapped because they had to wear bras already. And, and sometimes um, when we got to sixth grade, some of those girls developed reputations. And there was another girl I remember in high school. I'm looking back at it now. I don't think anything happened with her, but all the boys talked about her because she was really beautiful and she wore really hip clothes, but she was really introverted. Everybody talked about her like they'd all had her. Oh, and, yeah, no, that was my experience also. That was yeah. yeah. And at 15, I was like, that probably happened. But then yeah. looking back, I was like, I bet she didn't have sex with any of them. And she just had to live this life of everybody thinking she did. Mm. And so I so I think the Denise character was really relatable in a way. I think it gave us enough. Personally, I feel like it gave me enough information about her that I understood. All right. I would, I would agree with yeah. that. I really yeah. like that scene and I like how that was presented. Yeah, you just kind of got the full picture. It came at the end, but like you were like, man, like I know that that's happened to somebody that I knew in school, and that's really hard. Um, and I guess the other stories were sort of superfluous. Like, so Randy Brooks' character is David, and he's the musician, and he's going around giving tapes. And it was kind of interesting to see all the different record companies because, like, the one that really stood out to me was he had these two, I guess, reel to reels, and he was like, I'd like to give this to you. And they were like, Yeah, we'll listen to it. It'll take us a little time, though. Just put it on this rack and there were just hundreds of reels on it 
Yeah. And and he was like, all right, let's keep going. And then he goes to the one place where they're trying to make noise out of beer bottles on the drums, yeah. <laughs> which was, was awesome. Was it, it was called like Blank Force Records or something. It had a funny name. Yeah, like the Voidoids named it or something, yeah. right? Like the, yeah. And uh, they were cool. I would have hung out with those guys. Totally. And, um, and I was thinking about it. Like, I would have loved to have lived in New York in that era and like known those people. Like I would have gone to that that recording studio like every day just hung out with the guy with the beer bottle and the drums and thought he was the coolest. Yeah. I probably dated him, you know, and it was just kind of a funny moment. But so, and then there was of course the Mickey Rooney story where he's the Mickey Rooney and that girl that sings for far too long. Judy goes to um, see him because her father's lawyer knows Mickey Rooney and she's going to somehow get advice about Broadway from him. And he keeps like having to leave and he's sort of nonchalant about, everything until the end when he's like, do you want to perform for me? And then they get to perform David's song, which is horrible. And <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty Broadway song. I think from that time, I, oh, it's yeah. very believable. Yeah. I, I felt like she, she was probably actually, uh, I don't know, uh, like a Broadway actress. That, that was my thought when I watched her. For sure. She had the look. Like she looked like somebody who who would do who started in high school theater and would probably go on to do Broadway like that was very well cast. And and if you look at her now, she looks the same. (laughs) She looks exactly like somebody you would see on Broadway. But I guess it looks like here she's known for a lot of voiceover. So she did uh, Pocahontas and uh, the Swan Princess. Oh, wow. So but I'm assuming she probably did Broadway as well. Uh, Yeah, she looks like she does mostly uh, cartoon voices, which is cool, yeah. you know. But yeah, she was very authentic looking in that way. I was like, oh, that is a woman. That's a broad, who wants to be on Broadway, Broadway gal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. But that song just drove me nuts. <laughs> it drove me nuts. Yeah, nuts. Well. So that's all I want to say about it. But um, so anyway, so I guess we were a little mixed on it with Mike loving it and um, kind of opening it up a little to us, I think, which makes me appreciate it a little more. Yes. And it's definitely worth a watch. I would like to see it again. I did buy the DVD, and if I ever find it, I will rewatch it. Um, Yeah, it was an interesting film. I'm glad you picked it. I wanted to revisit it for a long time, but, like, it was just different, just really different. I can't can't really say much else about it. It's not like I disliked it or liked it. It's just that it was different. It's a lot to take in, I think. In segments, it's a wacky comedy, and then in segments, it's a drama, and it's going all over the place so much. It's so sort of schizophrenic that I think um, I only watched it twice. I think if I were to watch it a couple more times, I'd really get the rhythm of it. Um, but, uh, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I quite got, I trust Kenneth Johnson, uh, from all the stuff I've seen of him. He created, <laughs> he created the bionic woman for heaven's sake. So, so you gotta, and he did V. So you gotta, I think you gotta give him the benefit of the doubt. Did and he wrote the music too in this, uh. Oh, that's right. I saw that. No, am I right that Faye Grant went on? Was she in V? Yes. The actress who played Denise, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So they have a little relationship. It just occurred to me that she was in V when you said that. That's so cool. I really like her. I've, I've always liked her. Yeah. She's really beautiful. She's Terrific. a really good actress. Yeah. Um, so let me just give you a little background on the senior trip. So it aired on December 30th, 1981 uh, on CBS, uh, which I believe Mike said. It came in at number 40 for the year. I couldn't find the weekly rating, but it did really well. 
for the year, it came in with a 19.5 slash 32, which again, it's close numbers to cotton candy. So we can say like almost a third of America watched it on the night it aired. It did have a rerun on September 17th, 1983. Didn't do quite as well. It got an 8.1 slash 15 and it ended up in the bottom 10 TV movies to air that season. But that happened a lot with reruns. That's not unusual. Um, here's what it ran against on ABC. It ran against the fall guy and something called summer solstice, which I think was a play that had never been produced before that came from like a playhouse 90 type of production and it, it starred henry fonda and myrna loy um it did not get good reviews oh, wow. although i can't imagine watching anything with henry fonda and myrna loy would be bad yeah. but yeah. Um, wow. it did, apparently didn't do well critically on nbc it ran against the facts of life which is interesting because that's all that's like senior trip for nine seasons yes yes you know what i mean yeah yeah the very special <laughs> yeah. yep yeah, and then an airing of Love, Sydney, which was that show with Tony Randall, do you remember? Randall, yeah. Yeah, and something called White Paper, he the president. Yeah. yeah, who was gay? I thought that was interesting. So there were gay characters filtering yeah. into TV at this point. Um, and then something called White Paper, the presidency and the nation, which was a special report. Um, and as Mike said, it was shot in New York. Um, and at the time, I found an article that there was a big push to get more TV shows and movies to film there. And so other projects uh, made for television that were shot around the same time was something called The Question of Honor, which is a TV movie. Uh, I guess these are all TV movies that I wrote down. Dream House, the Cagney and Lacey pilot movie, and The Fleetwood Kids, which I don't think was actually ever shot. I've never heard of it. Um, and I couldn't back into it. Uh, Scott Bale was 20 when he made this. Um, he made Zapped actually around the same time. I saw that Zapped was originally titled The Wiz Kid. I'm not sure that's in your review, but I thought that was kind of a cool title. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the reviews were not great. Jacqueline Trescott of the New York Times called it a no-class senior trip. <laughs> oh, The creator no. should be – yeah. No, I don't agree with that. She said the creator should be sent to detention hall. Wah, wah. Oh, yeah. John O'Connor of the New York Times said that it was just a standard formula film. He didn't have much to say about it. And Bill Hayden of the Gannett News Service said that it was at best diverting, at worst tedious. So it wasn't it did get really good ratings, though. Huh. I think it really appealed to to kids like me who could not get into the theater to see my tutor. You know, right. we were right. like, we're going to watch Senior Trip, guys. So, again, some of the actors appearing in Senior Trip were Scott Baio, who at this time would have been ridiculously famous. Um, Faye Grant, who was on The Greatest American Hero, I think at the time, was one of the students. Um, Randy Brooks, who would later uh, star on The Soap Generations, which was the first soap uh, with a large African-American cast. Um, and then he went on to do The West Wing. Um, so just a really random aside about Peter Caulfield who plays the older man who picks up the kid. Um, he was in Times Square. But what's interesting is he made a TV movie that came out right before she uh, – oh, my God, I can't think of the name of it. Elizabeth Montgomery, the famous rape movie. Um, there's a movie called Cry Rape that Peter Caulfield played in where he plays two characters, one who's falsely accused of being a rapist and the other one who is the rapist. And he's also in Times Square, and he plays Trini Alvarado's dad. And what's so interesting about that is that there's a scene – where Trini Alvarado and her friend are walking through New York and they pass by a poster for a movie called Cry Rape. But there's another Cry Rape, which was like an adult film. Right, yeah. Yeah, from that same era. And I thought that that was funny because Peter Caulfield was in the TV Cry Rape. And so it's when I saw it, I didn't realize that there was an adult film called Cry Rape. So when they walked by the poster, I thought it was a reference <laughs> to, to Peter the TV Caulfield. movie, yeah. yeah. I thought, what a weird thing to have, a poster for Promoting a Promoting in Times Square, yeah. Yeah, and so I looked it up and I saw, but it, but there's kind of a weird connection there. Um, James Carroll, of course, which Dan mentioned, was from Girls' Night Out and He Knows You're Alone, uh, which I didn't actually recognize him in this. Um, he looks a little different than he did in those two films. Julia Montgomery, of course, Girls' Night Out. 
she was on One Life to Live. She was in Revenge of the Nerds, right? And she's in one of my favorite episodes of Magnum P.I. Uh, what I remember her about being on One Life to Live is that she was married to Asa Buchanan's who would have been like 60 and she would have been like 20. And she did an interview. Yeah, she did an interview um, where she said that she really hated making out with him. Because, oh, well, yeah. He was 60. She marries his character, right? And then they're like, oh, you guys have to. I don't think they had heavy love scenes. And I think he was decent about it. But I think she's like. I'm 20 guys and I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? So it also had Vincent Spano who was in everything. And I remember yeah. Madonna had a huge crush on him in this era of his life. Um, and Robert Townsend from Hollywood Shuffle yes. shows up. This was again, directed by uh, Kenneth Johnson and who we've been talking about. He did the alienation TV series as well. And the reunion telefilms, um, which I love. This was co-written by Johnson. Oh, I see. This is probably his only legit TV movie. Um, that isn't an alienation TV movie because some of his episodes of cliffhangers were cobbled together, made into TV mm. movies, but they didn't start out that way. Yeah. So this was co-written by Johnson and a man named Dan Kibbe. I hope I got that right. Dan also worked on the bionic woman. And as you said, he, he is co-credited with the score, his partner being a man named Joseph Harnell. Um, and they both worked together on cliffhangers V, the incredible Hulk and a bunch of other stuff. And of course, most of it was shot in New York City, including the footage that is supposed to be Youngston, Ohio. Scott Baio said that the bulk of Senior Trip was actually shot six blocks away from where he grew up in Manhattan. Oh, wow. And so so he spent a lot of downtime actually visiting the neighborhood and his friends there. Um, I also read that his dad owned a bunch of pet stores and Scott Baio wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, kind of warmed my heart a little. Yeah. Um, because it's cold usually when it comes to him. No offense, but it is. <laughs> so uh, Mickey Mickey Rooney had another TV movie that year called Leave Him Laughing, which um, he actually took time off of a Broadway production he was in called Sugar Babies to be in. And it doesn't look – it's about a clown. And uh, no, I can't do it. Um, but anyway, so he had two TV movies that year. And that's really all the background I have on this movie. It, I guess Scott Baio brought it a little bit of publicity, which is good. Um, he did do some interviews for it and he seemed to enjoy making it because, you know, he, um, he did not like making uh, Skate Town USA. He was pretty like, Sad, um, not sadly, into it. yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't tell where his heart is ever. You know what I mean? Like, does, like, I can't tell if he like enjoyed acting or if it's just something he grew up doing and so he just did it. Mm-hmm. But he seemed to kind of like me. So that makes me happy. Inscrutable Scott Bayo. Yeah. May I may I just bring up a link between uh, Cotton Candy and Scott Bayo? In Cotton Candy, there's a scene where they have to play for a kid's um, birthday party. Oh, and that's right. In the second episode of Joni Loves Chachi, they are called out to play for a record executive, but they actually end up playing for his kids. And as much as I lo- right. as much as I love the scene in Cotton Candy because it's much more expensive than the scene in Joni Love Chachi, the Joni Love <laughs> Chachi scene because we know the two of them is much sweeter. I think so. Scott, it is a sweet cool. scene. Yeah, yeah, it is. A, that's the thing. That's the thing. And I don't want to get political because that's not why I'm here. But I have a lot of issues with Scott Baio politically. But Joni Love Chachi is one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. And yes. I, I've said that and I know people are like, really? But it is. And uh, it's only 17 episodes or something like that, but it's pure joy and it's romantic and it's sweet and it's funny and he's warm in it and he can't sing to save his life, but he tries. <laughs> yes. And it's just, it's such a great show. And so no matter what happens with me and yeah. my adult world with Scott Bale, I will always love this era of his life. Well spoken. My Adventure Super Train podcast, Amanda and I talk for about 
45 minutes to an hour about each episode of Joni Loves Chachi at the very beginning yeah. of it. So, <laughs> the 22 so, minute episode, yeah. Yeah, so the, especially like the Christmas episode, I think we talked for like 65 minutes. Oh, yeah. About a 25 minute episode. So, so yeah, you're right. He, wow. he, he, um, it, it's a good show and he's charming. And, um, yeah, he's troublesome now, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, he is. But it, he was good here too, because it was sort of a, a diversion from, from Chachi and yes. from Zapped, which he, I guess we hadn't seen that yet, but he was doing a completely really interesting kind of serious role. And, um, and it was, it was, I could see why he would like doing it. It was definitely something that he, I don't think he'd really done prior to that. He's so yeah. 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 And he was good in the part and he looked great, you know, he's adorable. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, that's my back my background and uh if anybody else has anything else to add i'm uh i'm very satisfied with this one two punch <laughs> i i am yeah that's fantastic yeah yeah thank you great okay so let me just do a little bit of the housekeeping we do at the end so um our next episode will be a halloween episode and i'm really excited about it we're going to have a guest which i haven't even told dan about so oh boy um, it yeah we're gonna we're gonna do a tribute to John Llewellyn Moxie, who passed away this year and broke all our hearts by leaving us because he was the best TV movie director ever. And I didn't really get to pay tribute to him the way I wanted to when he originally passed away because I've been so crazy busy and it's been a rough summer. And so we're going to watch two of his thrillers. We are going to watch A Touch of Evil from 1971 and A Strange and Deadly Occurrence from the late Ooh. 70s. I can't remember the exact date of that there are very similar films in a way and they're completely different in others and i'm really looking forward to talking about them our guest is going to be bill ackerman from oh, supporting characters all right oh, wow yeah i, I never, love bill. i never talked to bill yeah wow that'll be great yeah yeah you're gonna like him and um he's kind of been getting into tv movies with me and we've gone on this little ride together and so i invited him to come on and try these two out with me and so we're gonna do that if you have any feedback about those two movies and you know you do um you can reach us <laughs> at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com you can find us on instagram at made for tv mayhem same with twitter i think it's at made for tv mayhem you can also go on facebook and find us at the made for tv mayhem show um and i don't think i have much to add here i there's all kinds of stuff that i've done that is kind of coming out but i'm never quite sure when i'm going to get a chance to edit these properly and get them out so just follow me on twitter i think it's made at I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. <laughs> oh my God. My, okay. So that I'm sorry. Happens, I'm catching yeah. Nicole. Yes. Made for TV Mayhem is my Twitter handle. Our podcast is TV Mayhem, Mayhem podcast. podcast right? Yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. I, I will. I do that all the time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting really mixed up. But you can follow me on Twitter or or on the Instagram that I gave out or on the Facebook and I'll post these things. And um and I'll just leave it at that. And uh before we get to what Dan's doing well no, let's do Dan first. Dan, oh, tell me what you've been up hey. to. Hey. Oh, um can can I just uh, I, I remembered somebody's waiting for you somewhere down the road. Keep on driving, keep on driving. That is the theme song from Pigs, which I couldn't remember earlier. All right. If you know Pigs. Hold it up. Yes. Hold it out of the pig. Yes, you got it. The 13th Pig, Blood. It had like 12, Daddy's Deadly Darling. It had like 12 different titles. But um, So what am I doing right now? I'm just hanging out. No, uh, my new book on the Henningverse is 
by time you're hearing this, I think it it will the manuscript will be with the publisher. Um, it was 18 months of watching 666 episodes of television and writing about 700 pages, and it's going to be there, and hopefully it will kick ass. And my other my other stuff, uh, One Minute with European Zombies has ended. Um, Adventure Super Train, we're around episode 76 or 77. Amanda, you're still there talking Masquerade. Amy the Conqueror, uh, we're near the end of Erie, Indiana. Uh, and um, Mitchell and myself are in a really weird section of Bourbon Street Beat. But that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> so, yeah, things are going to get... Uh, strange due to a writer strike in 1960, which I never knew about until now. So, um, yeah, that's where I am right now. So that's me. Awesome! I'm really excited about your book. Congratulations! It's so close now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it'll probably be, we can put it on our bookshelves next to Teen Movie Hell, a oh, crucible yes. of coming of age comedies from Animal House to Zapped by our guest Mike McBeardo McPadden. This book is so. Good. I will say, if I can look go a little behind the curtain, Mike sent me a copy of this before it came out to give a look at it and maybe offer a blurb for his website and stuff, which I happily did. But but I sat down with it, hmm. and I was really excited because I love this genre. But I was so – I fell in love with this book. Yes. Like five minutes into reading Thank it. Thank you so it's, much. Yeah, I really honestly did. I, I was really excited to just – dive into it yeah. and i started looking up all my favorite movies and even if like we disagreed on something i feel like maybe you didn't love porky's 2 as much as me the <laughs> writing is so good like, it's like you, it doesn't matter if if you disagree with him or not it's just yes. it's got really great writing it's breezy it's got everything i think the second one i looked up was malibu bikini shop i don't know why i love that movie so much but i do i was like i have to look and see and so i so i read a i just skipped around at first and then i read the essays and then i just started reading the reviews again and it's it's kind of built like my book in that it's essays and then it's it's like a reference guide in a way too and it's got great images i mean there's so much about this book to love there's so much about this book to love and so i'm so excited that you came on here and i'm also that you represented tv movies in here that's like zuma beach you know like things that you don't see written about in a lot of places and it was great to see that inclusion and so this book has pretty much everything it's gonna it's nobody will be able to outdo it i think and so so much. Thank yeah, absolutely. You. Yeah. May, may may I bring up one thing? May I just say one thing? Yes. And then I'll and then I'll Please. stop because I pitched a bunch of quotes to McBeardo for the book, and my favorite quote, the one that made my wife enjoy the most, was um, it was something like um, McBeardo does it again. He always knows where the boobs are. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and I'll let you go. He does. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I have that divining rod. Yeah. King, what'd you call yourself? King McBeardo. McBeardo the 69th. I've been yes. coronated tonight. You know where the boobs are. And we're, we really appreciate that. We really appreciate you looking at so many breasts over the last 30 something years to compile. It has been my pleasure. <laughs> and so anyway, everybody should pick it up. It is available on Amazon. Um, and give it a look and, and then look for Dan's book in a few months. But anyway, this is so good. I'm so glad you could come on and thank you for taking time out of your thank busy you. schedule. 
And um, and tell us where we can find you. Uh, Facebook, I'm on there a lot. Uh, my Twitter is not so active. That's slash Mike McBeardo. And uh, Instagram is uh, Teen Movie Hell. Perfect. And uh, there, there I am. Yeah. Yeah. So follow him and follow his journey. And uh, you're going to be doing some other stuff. I think you're getting ready to venture into other books. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're they're theoretical at this point, but there's two books I'm developing at the same time. Okay. And you can watch that adventure on his social media. So I'm going to say good night to our listeners and uh, check for us in October when we have our Halloween episode. So thanks so much for listening. Good night. Thank you. Good night. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've been waiting for. They've been champions for the last two years in a row. Here they are, the incredible Rapid Four.